Hey folks, welcome to another week's The Live Life Aggressive Show. Sincere Hogan, got Mike Mall on the other line. Got a great guest today, man. It's a very interesting topic we're going to cover today. Yeah, great topic. We've had a lot of people come on the show and talk about the athletic performance side of mixed martial arts or fight game. We've had Sabina Scala come on on episode 64, talk about strength training for MMA, and then we had Corey Beasley on episode 172. But there's another component of optimal athletic performance, and that's the mental side of things. Right. Today's guest is really going to break that down, and he works in particular with a lot of combat athletes. One, for example, Matt Brown, who we've had on the show many times. So without further ado, we're not going to do any of the shout-outs until the end. Actually, we're not going to do any shout-outs. Because yeah. <laughs> I didn't go in and make a list, all right? How about yeah, that? Not today. Because you have to wait another week to hear your name. <laughs> Self-indulgent listeners. <laughs> uh, we'll, do, we'll do the housekeeping for the show at the very end and talk about some other ideas that we have coming up down the pipeline. So anyway, without further ado, we've got Joshua Manuel of FightHypnosis.com. Joshua, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing well, guys. How are you? And you wanted to remain in an undisclosed location, so we're not going to tell our audience where you're at today. <laughs> oh, perfect. <laughs> now, how did how did this whole thing start for you? How did you get into the mental side of the fight game? Well, around 15 years ago, I was helping coach a boxing class. And there was a particular coach who would come in and work with some of the kids using visualizations. It wasn't specifically to do that, but it was part of what he had taught the kids. And there was an inordinate response, reaction to the visualizations that were used. So they could take something that may have been problematic in their technique or their overall attitude. And literally within minutes, they would become different fighters. They would be able to leave poor habits behind. They would be able to install new habits. They would be able to visualize something like a hook or a jab and then perform it entirely differently based upon a single visualization. Well, what's going on in these visualizations? Basically, you look at the exact structure of a particular experience that you want to have. So let's say, and and this uh, this is a little bit different from the mindset stuff itself, but one of the visualizations that you can find that would perhaps improve a technique, let's say someone's throwing a hook, And the power, of course, is generated off of the hips. And for some reason, their form is not as good as it could be, as it is with most most performances altogether. What you could imagine is something simply like a straight pole going from the top of the head all the way through the spine into the ground. You can imagine it rotating on ball bearings. And then you would slowly take the person through the different senses and different internal representations of what's going on to the point where their unconscious mind starts to relate. Well, what would it like for what would it be like for a pole to be there? What would it be like for the movement to be more smooth, more automated, more mechanical? And then the conscious mind sort of lets go. So there's less stress and you start performing based on these internal representations of different things that you already had. So it may be similar to maybe as simple as just relating the unknown to a more efficient known. So you're not exa- you're not visualizing the specific move you're trying to improve. You're more visualizing an effect you're trying to produce. That's actually the best way to, to look at it. If you can take yeah. something yeah. and kind of apply it as a 
metaphor or something that you already have learnings of in a different state, then your mind can sort of bridge the gap between. So I think that's where visualization gets a bad rap is that often people think of visualization as you're you're visualizing all of the moves you're going to do. You're visualizing how the fight's going to play out. And then when you get in there, it's a, it's totally different than what you visualized and you choke. And then you have lost your plan, so you don't know what to do. Absolutely. Yeah, you guys are spot on with that because people will kind of try to build these overly precise visualizations. And then the right. question is, of course, what happens when it doesn't go to plan? So there's different things you can do as you're going through the fight and visualizing different processes. You can make things a little bit more vague. You can offer the unconscious mind or, you know, the, the client as you're speaking to them. And you can say something like, uh, and as you land the strikes that you want to and the movement is going exactly the way that makes sense to you, then they can sort of go in and fill in the gaps in the way that they want. Right. And if you have a particular finish, particular strike, particular technique that you want to rehearse, you can do that a hundred times, a thousand times and make it more as part of a toolbox than an exact scenario. Yeah. So I remember the first time I have not the first time, but one of the first times I gave a public lecture presentation, I remember I did a visualization series before, but pretty much right before I went on, I go, okay, here's what I'm going to say. Here's how I'm going to say it. Here's how the crowd's going to react. What I didn't visualize is getting up there and just going completely blank. And I, I mean, I went, I went blank so bad. I choked so hard that if someone asked me my name at that exact moment, I wouldn't be able to answer. So I, so I just panicked. And then uh, it, was, it, was, it was highly embarrassing. My trainer had to come up and save the day and all that. It's like, oh, let's give Mike a hand for effort, which <laughs> is even more humiliating. But then, you know, the next time around, I was like, okay, next time that happens, what do you do? You just stay calm. You can even say, hey, you know what? I, I completely forgot what I was about to say, which I've done many times teaching courses around the world where I've gone blank. It happens almost every time. I go, man, what was I just saying, folks? And then someone will yell out, oh, you were talking about leptin. I'm like, okay, good. That's it. And I get back on track. Right, right. So I think sometimes, like what you say, when people try to make the visualization so precise, you can't take into account all these extraneous factors or possible outcomes that may occur. Absolutely. You know, anything can be turned off if it's overly precise or if you're kind of getting yourself caught up on the details. What you can absolutely do at any point in time is change things so you're fighting off of an internal state that's created. And that's actually what the most effective technique is when you take somebody through a fight mindset session yeah. is you install the most resourceful state for them. So it may be total aggression. It may be. And, and the other interesting thing is that when you're installing peak performance states, you can take different states and combine them. Hmm. So you can take something like aggression and clarity and intensity which may not naturally occur, those three states may not naturally occur in a way that you would be able to draw upon them normally. So you would draw each one out separately, sort of combine them, anchor them, and now you have this hybrid state which is offering you more resources, more elements that you can use yeah. at any point in time, which just wouldn't occur in normal waking consciousness. Seems like you can use any of this stuff to improve any performance. So it's not just relegated to the fight game, of course. Like, for example, even on a, on a much lower level, let's say I, I'm going to go to the gym tomorrow and do a, an attempt at a deadlift PR. And I have a lot of anxiety going into that. What, what would you recommend I do? 
Right. You know, that that's a great distinction you make that a lot of people don't get. It's just a matter of kind of hacking into the process that's most effective for what you're going to do and working with that. In that yeah. particular situation, I would, first of all, I'd, I'd draw out some of the elements of what's going on in the anxiety, the physical representations, what it actually is precisely that you're anxious about. But for the most part, anxiety as a structure, as a mechanism is the exact same one that you'll find in people who are inordinately successful. And what I mean by that is they will simply take a future event that they're visualizing, like your deadlift PR tomorrow, and what they're doing at that point after they're visualizing the future event is they are having the internal sensations as if it's happening right now. Mm -hmm. So if you take somebody who is an excellent fighter, excellent in their own uh, deadlift PRs, right? They may take something like that and see themselves succeeding and then have the internal representation, the feelings of succeeding the day before. So when you're seeing something negatively, right, and it ends up causing and building these feelings of anxiety, right. there's a couple ways that you can look at that in terms of just releasing the anxiety completely. What I would recommend specifically in your situation is simply see yourself at the very end and a couple minutes after, after you perform successfully, and then just run through the entire memory backwards, mm. all the way to the day before, all the way until right now. Because you cannot experience a negative emotion, you cannot experience an anxiety when you're running things through backwards. So it's simply a matter of seeing a positive finish, a celebration afterwards, see that first, then move back into the actual lift, then move into your preparation, into your warm-up, all the way to the day before. And it's important to just see everything happening positively. And as long as you run it through backwards from end to beginning, when you actually have the time to experience those feelings between now and your attempt tomorrow, everything's going to sort of unwind and play through itself without that anxiety. Right, right. So basically, when you actually do it, you feel like you've already done it before. Absolutely. It doesn't feel like you don't have the anxiety of of never having been in that situation before. You feel like you've already achieved it, so now you're just going in and doing what you've already imagined. 100% correct. And every little increment that you run up to, you already know what's on the other side of it because you went through it backwards already. Right. You know it's a positive thing attached to it. Yeah. So basically, you, it's like looking at it's like looking at a jigsaw puzzle. You look at how it looks in the very beginning, and then you take it apart. And like and it probably helps you a lot better by doing it that way, visually, than just open absolutely. up the box, putting the pieces on the floor, and like, all right, let's put this thing together and hope for the best. Absolutely, it's it's actually almost the exact phrasing that we we'll use into a fight, a particular round. You have all the tools, you have all the pieces, you know what the big picture looks like, and now you can assemble it the way that you want. Hmm. What do you? What are some of the common things you find? Are there any common things I should say that you find with fighters that you need to that you address? Yes, there are a couple things that you're going to see in almost every instance. And when you look at actual individuals, one thing that uh, a lot of people tend to think of fighters is you know these tough guys who can handle anything. Which and, and there's a reason, you know, for that because yeah. because of what they're doing. The interesting thing is that a lot of these fighters are becoming the tough guy because that's 
the way they see they're going to deal with things. So they deal with things head on. So when you know that you're going to push and power through anything, no matter what the obstacle is, that can be a good way of having that persistence and knowing you're going to do it. But if you know that you can always muscle through something, sometimes it means that you're not going to have the genuine confidence to just calmly walk through it, if that makes sense. Yeah. So so when these guys are coming in, they may they may know, let's say, they have a big fight coming up. And there's an opponent who they know is exceptionally good, whose record may be twice as good as his own. And he can see that and he can say, you know what, I'm a fighter. I'm going to go after it. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to make what, make what I can make happen, happen. Yet, at the exact same time, just because he's always dealt with stuff that way, he may not have an absolute confidence. And by confidence in this context, I mean a certainty. Yeah, that he can go in and land the shots that he wants. He may think he's just going to go in and do something crazy and give it his all, but he may not feel that he will have control of the situation. He may not feel that he has the calmness and the clarity that he needs to handle all of his objectives in the exact way that he doesn't practice. So we actually go in and we work on those elements of confidence a lot because when you look at what confidence actually is – it's simply nothing more than the internal images that the athlete is making, the internal dialogue that accompanies those images, and the resulting physical feeling, yeah. all of which can be hacked, rewired, erased, you, rerouted. Yeah. Let me ask you this, Josh. We start talking about confidence, though. Let's talk about something that can shake up a fighter's confidence, a devastating loss. You know, like, how do you help these guys come back from that, man? Because a lot of times you can see some guys, it just seems like, man, they take it really, really hard. So it may, yeah. I mean, they, they may have attached such a feeling of winning that they got surprised with the fact like, okay, you thought you were going to run through this guy, but you didn't. And he surprised you. He, you got caught. You know, you didn't <laughs> expect that. It's like, you know, you underestimated the guy. Because, you know, in an MMA, anything can happen. Well, it's like this last weekend, this past weekend, Aljamain Sterling fought Brian Carraway, and everyone thought Aljamain was just going to blow through him. And in the first round, it certainly looked that way. And then Brian took over the second and third round and flipped the script. So no one ever so gives Brian a chance, man. <laughs> no, 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 we have, we'll talk about that after. Yeah, we'll talk about that. We have some funny show. stories there. Yeah, but that's a great question, Sincere. I'm curious, too. Yeah, you know, and it's funny. You can actually see so much in a face-off with the with the mental states and that yeah. that particular that particular face-off when you saw Brian didn't shake his hand. You know, you could you could tell a little bit about his intensity right off the right. bat. Right. I thought that was fascinating. So when when you take a fighter who has suffered a devastating loss, or let's say his arm gets snapped in an armbar, or you know he he fractures something in his face. Uh, devastating knockouts, you can actually go in and with any experience, any memory that we have, it is simply something that we've encoded based on at that moment in time, what we were seeing, hearing and feeling from our own perspective. It only represents the reality that we've encoded to it. So we can go back into any particular memory and there are some who also believe you can never access a memory without altering it in some way, shape, or form to begin with. So we can go back and we can lessen the actual intensity of the event that has left a lasting trauma. And the reason why that question is so interesting is that sometimes a guy will suffer a devastating loss, 
knockout, snap of a limb. And over time, he can think he's over it, but not really be over it at all. They still sort of have the brakes on. They're still a little bit gun shy without knowing it. So in those circumstances, so for instance, Sincere, can you think of anything in your own experience that was kind of a devastating memory or a devastating loss or defeat of some sort? Oh, yeah, I can think of quite a few. <laughs> think of quite a few, man. Um, I can actually think back to probably one of the one of the reasons why I'm probably not a big fan of, of jujitsu is actually due to a certain school, you know, that I went to and started training there. And they kind of didn't rein in one of their senior students who, after I tapped, he kept going with an arm bar and really jacked up my elbow, you know, and I'm really I'm tapping this guy and tapping him. He wouldn't let go. And it just left a really bad taste in my mouth and pretty, it's to the point where, okay, this is why I like Muay Thai. So I'm standing up and I'm putting an elbow in his neck the next time he tries something like that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, and it took everything in my power actually not, you know, just want to just like <laughs> kick the crap out of him with my knee or something, man. But, you know, trying to be respectful of the, of that particular school, but, you know, it was my first reaction. So, you know, I, mean, I know people listen like, oh man, but you know, it's not all jujitsu schools are like that. But like I said, there's always going to be this thing that makes me a little standoffish about jujitsu. And, you know, especially from, you know, high end instructors where I felt like, you know, they should have stepped in and like stopped the dude, you know, yeah. but the, and then at the end of the day, they try to put the blame on me. Like, well, you know, you didn't tap. I'm like, dude, I tapped the crap out of this. I was pretty much spanking his ass. It's almost, <laughs> you almost had to go on a date afterwards, you know, I was about so much. <laughs> so, so, absolutely. So now, so now I'm when you take you now this, with, you know, jujitsu now <laughs> because of that. <laughs> I can't, okay, so can't wait you, to see uh, your, can't wait to see your if, show if notes. You take this here. memory, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And you, you're to rate the level of disti- uh, the level of the bad taste in your mouth on a scale of one to ten mm-hmm. for that memory. Where is it at right now? You know, actually, as I'm getting you know getting older, <laughs> you know, a little wise with <laughs> it. Like it's gone from like an extreme. It wasn't even a ten. It was probably like a fifteen at that time. But at this point now, right. it's probably it's like a three. Just just from the folks that I've trained with and and just the people I've spoken with, it's at a three now. Where, you know, there's certain things on the ground that I wouldn't mind training that I have trained actually just recently, um, when I was out in Vegas with Tim Larkin, you know, kind of some things that I actually learned at jujitsu school at the same time. But when the way that Tim explained it really, you know, kind of eased that bad taste in my mouth from anything going on the ground as far as, you know, um, his defense went. So he kind of helped me kind of get over a big hump. And, but again, it, it came down to the instructor. It's the same thing, but trust me, I still don't forget about that one dude though. <laughs> Anytime I pass that school, I think about that guy, and it kind of sucks because it's in a neighborhood I like to trap, you know, I like go to a lot as far as restaurants and all that. And I always have to see that school, and I think about that dude. But it gets a little easier every time. Okay, so you would you would put the actual experience, that memory, at about a three. Yeah, I'm at right about now. a three now with that. <laughs> okay, so I'm not interesting over. question. <laughs> Completely interesting question. If you're to look back at that memory now and actually see yourself. In the picture, as if you're watching a movie, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, see the entire event folding as if you're watching a movie. Now just make the screen about half the size. Drain all the color from it. Make it half the size again. Make the picture a little bit grainy, a little bit more grainy. And now just run it from the very end to the very beginning. Run it and rewind. And let me know when you're done. Okay. Okay. Now you're going to make the screen half the size again, a little bit more grainier. Now you're just going to run it from end to beginning again, 10 times quick in the next two or three seconds. Let me know when you're done. All right. Cool. 
Now you're just going to run it a hundred times, even faster in the next three seconds. And you're just going to add that rewind noise when you hear like old VHS tape going in rewind. hundred times quick, go. Alrighty. Okay, now push it out of your mind and tell me, on a scale of one to ten, where do you find that memory now? When you try to? Probably about a about a one, because of course, you know, now I'm seeing, you know, what I could have done better. You know, at this point, I could have did a verbal tap, you know, instead of just going with the physical sure. tap. And I'm pretty sure I would hope that he would have stopped a little faster. <clears throat> Absolutely. Absolutely. So we can we can go through, we can rewire that memory, we can add in cartoon voices, we can make little changes to the image, the color, the position. We can have you seeing different things. So even now, you'll never be able to access that memory the exact same way again. It'll always be a little bit different. And the more we can minimize that change, it shift it, push it off out into space, the more you have the ability to just kind of be done with it and start making bigger, clearer pictures of what it is you do want to accomplish, whether it's in your Muay Thai or whether it's coming back and snapping that dude's arm, whatever you want to accomplish, we can do that. Right. Well, what you bring up is um, some interesting things came up as you were doing all of this. How much of past traumas arise when you're working with fighters that maybe aren't even related to fighting, but it's having an effect on their performance? Like the military and law enforcement, you know, guys coming back from war, because I see that you've worked with guys in, you know, the military, Department of Defense and all that. So that was going to be my question as well. Right. It's all going to be on a very specific, individualized basis. And the other thing that gets really interesting with that is that sometimes you'll never know, especially if it's something that happened overseas. You might not know six, seven, eight, ten sessions deep into it that something may be involved with something that's kind of holding an athlete or a fighter back. The one thing within fighting that you'll find is if it's something that is a number of particularly traumatic past events, you'll usually find that the fighter is not kind of going for the same sort of goals as a fighter who may be looking at uh, having his eyes on the belt or something like that. Some fighters will come in and depending on the intensity of the trauma, the severity of the trauma, they may just sort of be looking for a path kind of going on their own journey. So it, it, it really kind of comes down to finding, in addition to what what kind of traumas may have existed in the past, just getting a really clear picture on what their goal is for the future. And that usually ends up being the more important factor as you move along. No doubt. A lot of people have these suppressed traumas that still impact them maybe it's maybe it's something that happened when they were a kid or a teenager and it's it's been suppressed not forgotten but suppressed where they're not even aware that it's in their subconscious affecting their actions in the present yeah and i think that's one of the that's something that's really debilitating because you may be acting in self-destructive ways without even realizing where that's manifesting from absolutely absolutely there's a guy named george pratt he is a hypnotist. He's a practices out of San Diego. And he worked with a number of the kids who'd survived, who survived the uh, Rwandan genocide, right? Yeah. And these were kids who saw their entire families murder right in front of them. And he came up with these protocols to help release traumas and stresses. And an analogy that he makes is that you can see... 
a square mile of fog, right? Something that would just blanket an entire square mile. It could be a meter thick, make it impossible for you to see your hand in front of your face. And he says it takes about eight ounces of water. Just an eight ounce glass of water is enough to create that entire fog when it gets diffused. And a negative event or a trauma can have the same sort of effect. Just, you know, it can have its impact where it was, but then just create sort of a fog or lack of clarity in the future. So it's, it's well, important what's, what's, when you tend to be able to clear those things. Yeah. yeah. What's amazing about that whole genocide is that I think it was 800,000 people that were butchered in three months. It was this horrible event. And the Hutsus and Tutsis, the two warring factions, that whole thing ended when they just had an agreement of we're just going to stop. We're just going to forget. We're, we're going to forgive everybody for what happened in the past, and we're just going to move forward. And that, to me, was the most amazing part of that whole thing because, I mean, essentially that's what you have to do. Otherwise, it just be, keep, it keeps becoming this revenge cycle of, okay, you killed my mother, so I'm going to kill you. And then that person, well, you killed my brother. Now I'm going to kill your brother. It just, it'll just keep on going on forever. And they were, and they were actually able to do this. Was actually it was actually successful. So that's that's astounding to me. Right, right. And, and the question is, yeah, you know, is that truly possible, way, right? though, Joshua? Is that truly possible? <clears throat> you know, you you see some of these peace agreements where they just decide like, hey, we're done. But there's always someone that kind of comes back and just you know they won't let it go. Any societies like, is that really truly possible for that to happen? Like, or is there still a possibility, even in that situation with Rwanda, where somebody's like, you know what? I, you know, I, I kind of just did my history, looked at my family's history or whatever. And, you know, I, I, I can't let that go. You know, we can't let that go because they may try it again. So we need to prepare ourselves so it doesn't happen again, make sure that we're the ones in power. So they, they won't overcome us and do that again, which we see in so many other societies, you know, whether it's in the Middle East, hell, even what's going on here in our own country. So on a, slight, on a lighter level. Right, right. Yeah. I don't, you know, I, I wonder if in, in some cases, you know, we could have something happen that easily or, maintain that level of simplicity and doing some these sorts of things you know but to be totally honest with you i things like that are the reason why i like to just focus on my bubble you know what, right. what i can do <laughs> yeah, I, right. I tend not to yeah i'm just like you know i'm gonna focus on making my day amazing <laughs> <laughs> right yeah. right well, I mean, the reality is civilization is fragile, so it definitely can happen again. And genocide, I mean, no one thought that another genocide could happen again after World War II with the Jewish intern camps. They're like, oh, we can't ever let that happen again. And then it happened again in our lifetime. And Rwanda's not the only one. We had the Bosnia as well. So, I mean, these kind of, and then and even in current events, we've had a lot of things going on. So it's just, violence is just part of our psyche, unfortunately. Absolutely. But bring, bringing it back to this whole, bringing it back to the fight game. When let's say let's say someone there there Frank Shamrock used to tell me about fighters that were great when they were fighting in training camp right so with them when they're practicing these guys are killers but there would always be a disconnect when they get in the ring and he said some of these guys would just be puking over and over again before they had to do the walk to the octagon how do you work with someone like that because they have all the skill sets they're they everything is great but somehow there's a disconnect when they actually get in the arena. Yeah, it's funny because uh, I, just like you were mentioning when we were speaking earlier about when you're doing your public speaking and that and everything just sorts starts to seem to go awry, you know, right, right when you need to do it. <laughs> and there's the one thing that we'll do is just have them visualize the small elements. And there's uh, a concept of social facilitation and the Yerkes-Dodson law where they say that the pressure that people around you 
can actually help you perform better right. in a simple or well-rehearsed task, and it will inhibit something that's a complex task or something that you know is is not that well rehearsed. So right. that literally allows us to go in and rehearse the actual scenario so many times whether it's just walking out or an acclimation to the lights or the elevated level of the cage or seeing all those beady eyes fixated upon you, right? <laughs> uh, we can take them through the process so many times that by the time they're actually there, it's actually, it's, it's helping them to just kind of have the sense of familiarity that they've already been there. They've seen the people. They've seen people cheering them or booing them. And they kind of have it in the back of their mind that, this is what to expect. I already know how to do this. Did you did you have Matt Brown visualize game punched in the back of the head by some crazy oh, Brazilian fans? <laughs> you know, I was expecting booze down there, yeah, yeah, all things yeah. considered. Obviously, yeah. the punch in the back of the head surprised me. <laughs> that was pretty. Yeah, I, mean, I know the fa- I know the fans can get rowdy there, but come on L- literally attacking fighters when they walk in. That's that's a little bit too enthusiastic to say the least. You know, such an interesting thing too, the idea of like punching a fighter at that level, like in the back yeah, of the head exactly. while they're off going to do their job. Right? Yeah. <laughs> what's, what's funny about Maddie is he, he immediately punched back, right? Like that was his automatic because he's like, look, this guy's pulling my hoodie in his direction. He's like, I don't know what's over there. This guy could have a pipe. This guy could have some kind of weapon. I don't know what he's pulling me towards. Right. You don't know their security system compared to like here in the States. I mean, we know pretty much anybody gets a little rowdy. We know security is going to bum rush and take them out of there. We don't know that in other countries, man. Right. <laughs> so. Right. Or even be able to get there soon enough. There's so many people in that arena. How do you yes. account for everyone in there? Now, I think the whole right. concept of, of utilizing pressure, though, is a really interesting one because I've always found that I perform better with pressure, whether it's yeah. teaching a course or a workout. Or that, studying that, for an exam in college. You know, just yeah, like, yeah. That, that, that anxiety, actually, I've always found is a useful thing. So if I, if I have some anxiety before I'm about to do a PR, like, okay, that actually gets me to zero in and focus a lot more and be fully present. As opposed to sometimes I've gone to lift something heavy and I go, man, I got this. I got this all day long. This is going to be easy, you know, given what I did last week. And then, and then, you know, you go in and you, uh, most of the time I bomb in situations like that because I'm too relaxed. Yeah. Absolutely. It can be like the equivalent of almost having your back against the wall, right? You right, have all right. this pressure on one side. So you go inside and just make it happen, right? When I was a younger guy, I used to be really shy about talking to women, right, even in my early 20s. And then I just decided, you know what, I'm just like, anytime I see a good-looking girl, I'm just going to start a conversation and potentially try to ask her out. And uh, you know, there was always like a lot of anxiety going into that, but that seemed to actually help it because, I mean, a lot of guys will will they're, they're their own worst enemy because they think about the worst possible outcome you know that could happen. Like she's going to laugh at your face or she's going to reject you in a way that's embarrassing. But I, I always found that you know, the, the, after a while, the pressure was kind of exhilarating. You kind of looked forward to it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's funny with, uh, with actually that exact scenario, too. You know, uh, what, what ends up helping a lot of people, whether it's a social anxiety or, you know, just generally kind of dealing with those sorts of things is just making the conscious decision. And yeah. once you make this decision, you know, you you see how simple and easy it is. But right. make the conscious decision that you will only let yourself worry about things that you have control over. So if you're going to walk up and talk to somebody, they're going to laugh about a 
use mole on your face or something like that. <laughs> if you just say, uh, well, look, I can't do anything about the mole, so I've made the decision to not care about it. I think people and don't want to be really embarrassed, right? Like, you're doing that, and the girl's like, you know what? All I can think about is the big booger in your nose. You know? right, right. <laughs> they're, just, they're just thinking of, like, some, some, something they didn't take into account, like something, like, super embarrassing, you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I remember one time I asked this girl, this is like, I think I was 22 in Northern Virginia, and there was, there was a good-looking girl who worked at Whole Foods, the checkout lady, and she and I had, like, a nice little dialogue a couple times. So, like, one time I'm just like, hey, I'd love to take you out for dinner or something like that. And then she said, uh, she's like, oh, I have a boyfriend, but let, let me give you my sister's phone number. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and then all these people in line are like trying not to laugh. You're like people right behind me. They're like, <laughs> you know, and I, it was like, it was one of those moments where it couldn't end fast enough. You know, you're just like, give me that fucking number so I can get out of here quickly. <laughs> you know, it's like, I'm never shopping in this Whole Foods again. You know? <laughs> she actually yeah. legitimately gave your sister's oh, phone yeah, number. Oh, yeah, she did. She's like, and she's like, oh, she was like trying to sell her to me too. She's like, oh, she's really good looking, and this and that. I was like, she has a great personality. That's you know, when you run. You, can you imagine calling up this girl? Like, you call the house, like, hey, you know, I was, I was asking, actually, I was actually asking your sister out, and was she shot me down, out? so she told me to talk to you. you know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure she'd be real flattered by that. You know? but in that situation, but don't you see, Josh, that, that like sometimes when we're all thinking, like, well, I don't walk, just like you said, I don't want to walk up to the girl because I have this mole in my face, that people end up bringing attention to those things that that person probably didn't even notice in the first place. Exactly. You're like, look, I, look, man, oh, please don't mind my cold. I, I'm getting over this cold. You know, I, I know, you know, just I, I know I got to blow my nose and everything, but I just want to ask you out. It's like, wait a minute. I didn't even know you had boogers and stuff hanging out of your nose, but now that you bring it up and you just shook my hand, ew. Like, <laughs> so usually a lot of people Absolutely. tend to bring attention to those things that, you know, they think everyone's going to look at, but a lot of times people yeah, exactly. don't even notice it because they got their own insecurities. So true, man. So true. Yeah, wherever you put the attention, right? The entire everything. Well, I mean, I've done that there. myself because I've got this burn scar on the on the right side of my face, so it kind of looks like vitiligo, but it's it's called the coal burn, which was an autoimmune reaction to a, a severe sunburn. So anyway, I mean, this literally happened overnight. One day I didn't have the burn scar, the next day I did, and and you know, so I was really insecure about it when it first happened, and it, it's on the right side of my face, so I would always try to put people on the left side, you know. <laughs> <And> then, <laughs> but it, to the point where some, some, sometimes to the point where people are like. Okay, I you know I can't I can only see the left side of his face. <laughs> I'm so I'm just thinking like I'm thinking like of Two Face and Batman when you yeah say yeah that exactly like, to the point like what sincere said is I mean of course everyone's gonna notice when they first meet me but if it doesn't bother me they're not they're gonna forget about it quickly right. right that's my experience like if I look people dead in the eye and I'm talking and I'm charismatic they're not thinking about it not in a negative context anyway. But in this context, we're kind of like, what's on the other side of his face that he keeps trying to hide? You know? <laughs> <laughs> it just made things worse, man. It was, just, it, was, it, was, it was actually making the situation many times worse. You know, it's funny. There's, there's a trainer that I know, right? Yeah, exceptional trainer, right? Uh, he's in phenomenal shape. And he told me one day that he's self-conscious about bringing on new clients because – he has alopecia and he's worried about some slight bald spots he has. Right, right. I'm like, dude, you know that people you're going to be dealing with on a daily basis, one guy's going to be freaking out over his high blood pressure. Another right. dude's getting sued. Someone just lost their mother-in-law, right? 
do you really think they care about a bald spot on the side of your head, dude? Do you really think they care? About it's like I was going to but stuff, once I man. saw that bald spot on your head, and so I realized you're not the right trainer for me. <laughs> exactly. Absolutely. And that always goes down to all those clients always come to trainers like, well, I don't like training in a, you know, at like a big gym or whatever because I don't want everyone looking at me. I said, you know what? Everyone <laughs> is thinking the exact same thing. Everyone's pretty much got their heads down or trying to be distracted by watching the news while they're on the on the, on the the cycle or whatever else. Just they don't want to look at you because they don't want you looking back at them. I said, you're not the only one. No, everyone there, that is a big, it's like a nightclub. That is like a big cesspool of insecurity all right. in one spot right there, man. But the reality is no one's looking at that person. Exactly. Like the only place the only place you should feel really insecure is a kindergarten class because those kids they have no filter. Okay? <laughs> they're the only ones. That, they're not judging you. They're just telling you as it is. Just like, oh, wow, you've got that bald stuff going on. Why is your hair like that? And then yeah, I remember it's cool. uh, <laughs> you know? friend, a friend of mine's kid, this guy was pretty overweight, right? And he took his shirt off at the pool in his backyard and his little girl just started learning how to talk. So she she looked at her dad and she goes, Daddy, you have hooters like mom. Or, you know, something to that. If she didn't use the word hooters, but something like that. Dad of boobs. It's like mom's got boobs. Dad's got boobs. You know, something to that effect. No filter, man. I'm telling you. It's my, it's my, like I said, three things that always tell the truth. Kids, leggings, and mirrors, man. Well, that's why I always tell people, like, if you want to get really good at public speaking, right, like you want to put yourself through the crucible, go talk to kids. Because yeah. if you can hold their attention, because if they're bored out of their mind, they're going to let you know that. They're going to be scribbling on a journal. They're going to be they'll yawning. You, they're like, yeah, I'm yeah, bored. <laughs> when yeah. can we go home? <laughs> The only time adults act like that is at a comedy show. Right. <laughs> so if you're not any good and you're on stage, adults all of a sudden, they're not going to be polite like they would when someone's giving a lecture. Right. <laughs> right. It's, you know, it's interesting. One of the my, – my favorite saying of all time is something that I tell all my clients who are working in a public arena and they, you know, maybe getting a little bit anxious or nervous about what they're going to do. And that's it. 10% of people are always going to love what you do no matter what. Another 10% are always going to hate what you're doing no matter what. 80% of the people just do not care one way or another. <laughs> right, right. 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 Just do not care at all. So. We have a tendency, though, to overly fixate on the negative, don't we? I mean, for example, a lot of people could get – you could get 20 compliments in a day and one negative, and that's what people that's are going to remember more than anything else. Absolutely. That's got that's got to be a re- yeah, well, that's got to be a real impediment to progress as well, though. It's just this inability to appreciate the positive and overly fixate on the negative. It, it can be, and it's also something that can be in the fight game. It's something that can be a great motivator if somebody's getting uh, kind of called out on something that they're not particularly good at. They they can find an immense immense strength when they start turning one of their weaknesses or their negative points into their point of total focus and right you know the the actual thing that they're going for what about when someone gets too emotional though right like when jose aldo fought connor you could just tell jose was really overly emotional like all of connor's smack talking really got in his head and that was every time you know yeah like like, he was like a raw nerve before the fight started (laughs) like he couldn't wait to run out there and do something and as a result he got tagged you know that that that's really fascinating. I usually I won't look at something too much until I'm working with the athlete, find out what their individual motivations are, what their setbacks are, what their challenges, aspirations are. But the exact thing that you're saying there about his emotion kind of getting the best of him, it uh, really became apparent when he had the belt taken from him. 
Yeah. When yeah. Connor grabbed that, you know, you could see yeah. that. Oh, yeah. He just had control of the situation and he was able to not just kind of have that tension there, but it was really a metaphor for how he's able to control the attack, right? To, to get him riled up and then just sit back, kick his feet up, do what he wants, right? Yeah. <clears throat> so yeah, Which kind of became this thing he was so attached to. It's like, well, dude, if he takes your belt, it doesn't matter. You're going to get it back. You're still the champ. <laughs> you know, at that moment. It's just like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. it's not like he's going to run off with your belt. Like, ah, I'm going back to Ireland now. Bye. <laughs> Somebody goes, I mean, right? you and that's, tell, that's tell Dana, make you another one. Like, hey, I need you to make me another belt because you can't get my other one from that idiot over in Ireland over there. <laughs> I, th- I think it was like an automatic, heated reaction in yeah. the moment oh, where the you're, you're, well, you're stuck in this zone. Like, my father has, a, my father's a hoarder, right? And he, he will go to yard sales, and if there's a deal, it could be so, it could be something he doesn't need at all. Like he's the kind of guy. Like if there were a good deal on a bulldozer, he would buy it, you know, <laughs> just because of the deal. And he, he gets stuck in this psychotic state where there's no reasoning with him whatsoever. Like he'll start rationalizing it. It's like, well, it's like, well, what are you gonna do with the bulldozer, Dad? Oh, I could. Uh, <laughs> he'll start coming up with some <laughs> stupid rationalizations for why he could, why it's somehow justified in him buying it. So, and I see this with quite a few people. One time, I mean, he was running after a garbage truck, <laughs> trying to throw garbage, like trying to throw excess garbage bags in that the garbage man didn't want to take. Because I think they 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 had a, they could only take maybe three or four bags at one time, and he had a couple extra ones out there, and they refused to take it. And here's him running down the street, this crazy man, this psychotic look in his face, trying to throw these bags in. And I and I see people sometimes where their their temper gets the better of them, and there's no reasoning with them whatsoever. It's like they're possessed in that moment. So is this where like breathing techniques come in, Josh? Like take take a moment, you know, before you like you know just explode or, and react, and just take a moment to breathe so you can respond. Because I always tell my kids growing up, I was like, there's a difference between responding and reacting. If you're reacting, you're it's already too late. You well, know, the, well, the problem absolutely. here though is you don't even have enough wherewithal to breathe. I mean, if you were cognizant of your temper in the moment, then you probably wouldn't even act on it. So I mean I think I think it almost has to be something like like you what you do Joshua where you re, you rewire people so that they don't react that way automatically. Yeah, absolutely. You can you can head it off at the past. You can have it move into a different resource state. You can have it turn to amusement. You can have it turn to uh, exactly like you're saying there, sincere. If like with Aldo, he's literally having him explode in a reaction that makes no sense whatsoever right. Right? right like you can literally be like yeah that that belt doesn't count anymore you know let's uh let's you know remove the serial number whatever it is right yeah it's, it's an invalid belt it's kind of like an interim belt you, you know? can actually rewire all of those responses right. before it even gets there he could have been i mean uh, he could have been like go ahead take that belt it's the only one you're gonna check. get yeah yeah exactly <laughs> like go ahead take it man it's the only one you're gonna get have there you fun go with it. Yeah. absolutely could have just stared at him and be like yeah dude uh because, because Rafael Rafael Josanos, he didn't get flustered one bit by Connor's actics, not one bit. He was just stone faced, like, yeah, we'll see what happens, man. When we get in the ring, I'll do my talking then. And unfortunately, that fight didn't happen. I really wanted to see it, but you could just tell it, it wasn't it wasn't getting to him. At least he wasn't visibly showing it. Yeah, you can kind of see that in the Ultimate Fighter this season, kind of with Joanna just really getting Claudia's face all the time. But Claudia's very calm, very relaxed, you know. And you can see now that Joanna's getting really flustered now that none of those mind <laughs> games are working to the point where like she's she looks like she's about to explode and of course of course now you know when they're talking to the little sh- after show apparently when the show shut down when they took the cameras on whatever else they end up getting into a physical altercation which i'm pretty sure that wasn't going to be hard to do when you can just see each week 
that Joanna's losing more and more control and her mind games are not working. And that, yeah. you know, she's probably trying to just take a, you know, take the lead from what she's picked up from like Rhonda in the past and Connor in the past, but she needs to look at the end result. How did that work out for both of them? You know, in their last fights, you know, eventually, you know, trying to play the bully or whatever and how that really worked out for them. They're not, you know, not really champs anymore. So, and, you know, I think Claudia is kind of, you know, figuring that out too. And she's just really comes. She goes, God, you know, even in the little vignette, she's like, I really just want to punch her in the face. I really do, but I'm going to wait because July 8th can't get here soon enough, you know, and, and she sees the bigger picture. She's seeing that this show is not about her and Joanna. It's about these fighters and helping them, you know, become better and actually get in the UFC. Whereas Joanna seems like she's all about her. Even when they lose, she's like, you guys, you guys are, you're, you guys are pussies, man. I'm like, oh, what coach tells you? Why do you do that? Who does that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you fight like pussies. You're not trained hard enough. I train hard. I train hard. So everything is about her. And, you right. know, and that's probably why right. they're like, oh, and five as of this week. Well, that, that's, it's always, you're always a bad coach. If you, if you have to keep using you or yourself as the example exactly. of, of excelling, it's like, why don't you be more like me? It's like, come on now. Yeah, and she steps in. She's like, "Here, I'm gonna train with you. We're gonna go hard today, and I'm gonna work with you, and we're gonna do it like I do it." I'm like, "Oh, that's 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 bad right there." And that could be <laughs> you can learn a lot from that in anything that you do, whether you're working with a trainer in the gym, you know, or you know, you're a combat athlete, you know, you're going to another, you know, another school or whatever, or hell, just a business. If your manager's always talking about all his accomplishments and why, you know, he's so much better than what you're doing, and you can learn so much from him. Yeah, you might want to go look, seek employment yeah. somewhere else, or get or work for yourself. It's a good red flag for sure. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Sometimes the guys who get to that level, the girls who get to that level, a big part of what gets them to that level is these internal things that they couldn't even articulate if they wanted to, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. So it makes it exceptionally hard to try to teach somebody else to be to do what you do. When you don't necessarily, when you aren't necessarily intimately familiar with what propelled you into your own ability to do that. Exactly. And even speaking about, speaking of Joanna, you know, I see throughout the season, she keeps referring back to that she was ready to quit. She was almost done with MMA and then she had this one opportunity and then she became champ. So like, how do you help people who keep reverting back to these stories? They, they attach themselves to these stories. You're like, you know, Mike and I always talk about these guys who will come to us like, yeah, I used to bench. Four, you know, four or five, or I used to do this when I was in high school, but these guys have been in high school for almost 25, 30 years. But they're still holding on to that one moment in the, in time, that one shining moment, where it seems like they may have, they may have overlooked other shining moments because they keep looking at that one, they consider that one climax highlight of their life or whatever. And they keep repeating that story over and over and over. Over. How do you help like fighters get over that? Cause I, I'm pretty sure that's pretty prevalent where someone's had this one victory, like, oh man, I was, I was the first, you know, I was the youngest guy that was undefeated up until this. I was 12 and 0 up until this fight. But man, before that, 12 and 0, no one could stop me. They not realizing like, well, you're not 12 and 0 anymore. You're 12 and 1. Let's talk about that one. So I had to help those guys get over that hump. Right, right. It's a, it's such a good question. When you, uh, one of the things Tony Robbins always says is like the only thing that stands between you and what you really want is the bullshit, bullshit story, story. you're telling yourself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, about why you can't have it, right? <laughs> and the stories are they're they're fascinating because if you want to stay locked in a place, you keep telling yourself a story. And at the same time, a story can totally it, it's something what I do with a lot of athletes before we go into session is we do something called the pre talk where we go into their goals, what we want to achieve, what we want to accomplish. And a lot of times, 90% of the result of that session is achieved during a story that you tell in the pre-talk. 
mm. because people relate to it differently. I could tell you a story about somebody in a similar situation to yours and let you know how that person handled the situation. And at that point, you don't have a capacity to consciously reject what I'm saying as advice because I'm not telling you to do anything, just telling you what some other person did. And if I can go into the other person's thought pattern, and let's say it's the 12 and one guy, I can say, hey, you know, look, I worked with another client and he was 15 and 0 and then he lost his first fight. And then he decided that, you know what, as long as I have that little one in my loss category, I will use that as my single lone thing that is my motivator. Every time I can look that, I know I have to go twice as hard. Every time I see that one, I know I have to prepare twice as hard for each fight now. Yes. And when the fighter hears that, he can decide to kind of change or rewire his own story. Right. And we use a lot of work with like like metaphors and stories from the client's own life. So we can really, when the client sees that you have their best interest in getting their goal, and you give them some resources to work with, they generally find the way out of their own BS. Right. On the flip side of that, let's talk about the guy that went 15 and one, and mm -hmm. he's used that one to be a single motivator, you know, for his career. But so he's on the flip side of this where he's hanging on to that story now, you know, that one loss, one loss. And he's constantly trying to prove that he's better than that, that one that he has in that L column, you know, and sometimes like that can be a hindrance. Like, you know, how do you get him past that <laughs> at the same time? Do you revert back to the guy that was 12 and 0 and then with 12 and one is just like, hey, man, look. This guy came back from that, but he also remembered that. I don't know that he had those 12 victories before that and that, you know, that, that one didn't didn't determine who he was, you know. So, like, yeah, how do you get with the guy that's always, you know, trying to be better than that one loss? Like, that's my weapon. That's that's what I'm going to use from now on. <laughs> well, you know, we'll check and see if it's working. If he mm -hmm. is 15 and one and he's obsessing over that one and that takes him to 30 and one. Right. And say, yeah, dude, keep obsessing over it. It's working <laughs> right. for you. It's getting you what you want. Right? It's getting you the goal that you want. Right. So uh, a lot of times, especially, you know, especially in the fight game, people are going to have motivations that would not be considered ecological for your average person who's not whose entire sustenance isn't based upon uh, the fight game. You know, it's, right. it's not. It's not your average nine to five, right? right. So you'll have some mindsets that, uh, let's say, don't mesh well into greater society or they're not right. sort of, you know, the thinking patterns that are going to be the most advantageous for your average person. So if, if they're getting what they want from it, then, you know, we can absolutely run with it, maybe even amplify it if that's exactly. It makes you have to wonder, even like with John Jones, you know, he's, you know, at this point, I don't know, I think it's like 15 and one, I believe at this point. And, you know, everyone always focuses on that one, like that one shouldn't even have happened, you know, but then you have to wonder, like, if that, you know, that DQ, if that, if that, if that loss hadn't happened, which really wasn't a loss, you know, would he, would he have still been undefeated if, you know, that hadn't happened? You know, or just kind of having that blemish, just kind of a reminder like, hey, this is kind of what happens when you don't take full control of the fight. And you kind of, you know, leave it to the judges or, you know, just be a little bit more, you know, in the moment as far as where your striking is going. So you don't get penalized or something like that. You know, you always have to wonder now, you know, it's always that it's always going to be that what if factor. Well, Absolutely. The, the, the real it's question. a fascinating thing to think about, because yeah. if, uh, you know, imagine that someone else in your division is now holding the belt. But that person never beat you. 
Right. <laughs> like, you know, how much harder like maybe that <laughs> Exactly. Like Cormier. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like yeah, yeah. with that interim belt, you know, John didn't want to worry. He said, oh, this is not even a real belt. Take this. I don't want this. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, the real interesting conundrum is were John's self-destructive habits somehow useful to him excelling at a high level? And is the new clean and sober John, is that somehow going to be an impediment? rather right. than an asset and we don't know until we see the fight in july and we, we may not even know even after then but it's just it's, it's just an interesting thing because you would think that now that he's on this much healthier lifestyle that that would be a tremendous asset but it's possible that <laughs> that balance of that wildness that that ability to just harness have that no, side yeah, of him. No limits and just be creative. Exactly. Like, I'm going to try this. Why not? You know? <laughs> or just that side where it's like, look, I train really hard as an athlete, so I'm going to go blow some steam and be a party guy and have fun. Literally. Blow. Right. Some steam. <laughs> yeah. Kind of reminds you, like, you know, some of these groups that came from like the 60s and the 70s, like, did some of the probably the top drugs in the world. You can take something like a Jefferson airplane or something like that, where they would. You know, their, their music was really good during the 60s. You know, you know, they were tripping and they were high off all this stuff, writing some of the best stuff. Then fast forward to the 80s and now they, they built the city on rock and roll. And you're like, whoa, what? <laughs> like Sarah. Like, well, that, what, that's what, the perfect happened? example. Well, like Aerosmith is another one. Aerosmith, Aerosmith, was the one Aerosmith too, yeah. did not make enough, has never made a good song since they went clean and sober, in my opinion. Oh, man, you, <laughs> you, know? Love, you know, like the love song from Armageddon? It's <laughs> yeah. the only one they got a Grammy for, man. Come on. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they went on to be more successful in terms of finances and notoriety, but in terms of the creativity, I mean, they had some real, it's hard to remember it, but they had some real jams. Oh, yeah. You know, back in the day. So it's, it's just interesting, man. Life is really interesting. You know, you just, you just don't know the answers to these questions until it happens. That's, you know, you're so right about that. You don't know until these things happen. You don't know until you even sit down and really find out. And I mean, really find out from the athlete kind of, what the factors are involved you you don't know what ego state is kind of in the place that's producing any result at any given time so it may be one of those things where cleaning up after a period of time may help someone perform better because they feel more aligned yeah. or you may have the situation where when a person is feeling exceptionally confident they feel like they're on top of the world so they start doing ridiculous stuff right, right <laughs> they right. might feel like a bit of a daredevil like they feel like they're pushing a little bit further and exactly as you're saying, until you really sit down and kind of get an idea of what's going on, then you really have no idea what's going on. Yeah, that's why I always kind of laugh at these armchair fans, you know, who feel like they're the, the new coaches of the year. When he watches, like, oh, man, he should have did this. Oh, he should have blah, blah, blah. You know, like I saw, you know, I saw the, the whole little pre-show when he was like training for it. He looked like he was ready. He just went in there and choked. We don't know exactly what happened up until that point. In fact, we don't even know what was going on when the cameras were actually on them because don't forget, people, they edit a lot of stuff. You know, they may not have edited the part where he actually like got knocked out and, you know, while sparring or whatever. Like, oh, that's not good. We don't want to show that, you know, and whereas that that knockout kind of rattled him a little bit. And he pretty much almost had a concussion and he pretty much didn't recover from that up until the actual fight, which was only what a week out from that point. So it wasn't like and in their mind, like, well, I can't pull out from this fight because I don't want to be that guy, you know, who gets a week before my championship fight. And then I can't do it because they've probably talked about those guys who've done that. So they have that ego-driven thing. So a lot of times people don't understand or even know what happens up until the point. They always see the end result, and everybody loves to make a judgment on the end result. Just like people see people doing things when they're successful, like, oh, I can do that, like being an entrepreneur. Oh, I can start my own business. But they never see, because they think that all we do is just sit around, 
doing nothing and money just comes to us and we don't have to do a darn <laughs> thing and we can go yeah. take trips and hang out and do vacations whenever we want because so many people that work, you know, and do a nine to five, they want that. But you know, they're like, well, I got to keep this job. But then they, they see us like, well, man, you guys make it look so easy, man. I'm going to do that. But not everybody's cut out to do it. You know, just like I'm not cut out to work in corporate America. I just can't do that. You know, so you get to that point where, you know, it looks easy from what you're looking at, but you never saw the fact that, oh, man, you know how many times we failed? You know, actually, to be a successful entrepreneur, you have to fail. And a lot of people don't want that. And then once they smell failure, they're like, I'm out. Nope, going back to my job. So I can't really fail at that. All I got to do is just show up, you know, BS around, look like I'm working on a computer, go on Facebook, but, you know, close my screen when my boss comes by. <laughs> you know? Well, like, like Matt Brown said, the truth always comes out on, on any objective. So, oh. for example, when people say, I want to be an entrepreneur or you guys make it look easier, I could do it. Well, the truth will come out if any of that stuff is true. Right. And the reality is when people actually try something on the periphery, a lot of things look easy. You actually try like, wow, this is a lot harder than I thought it would be. I remember when I saw some people snowboarding for the first time. And this is back when I was 13 or something. I go, man, that looks like a lot of fun. I go, it also doesn't look like it's that hard. I'm a skateboarder. I bet I could pick that up easily. <laughs> I mean, the first couple of times I tried, it was brutally difficult. Yeah. It was difficult to even stay standing without falling over for five seconds. And then it took a while for that to click in. So, I mean, people that are really good at something, they always make it look easy. Like, hell, you can be right. like, And it's easy to kind of <laughs> get in the – you know, it's so funny when you look at uh, – Simple things when you look at it, people tend to have the assumption when they're reading into what they think maybe an athlete's doing, what someone else is doing. Mm -hmm. They also assume that the athlete has kind of planned out these things in advance where they may have just done something on a whim themselves. For instance, if you look at Connor pulling out of the fight or not showing up to the media event, you have everyone saying, oh, he's scared of Nate or he's looking to do with this with, you know, to make more money or he just saw his teammate kill another dude, you know? Right. You have all these things, but you don't know at any given point in time whether the athlete was on the fence about something or the athlete right. changed his mind about right. something. Well, Connor may not even have known why he bailed on that. That could have been just a just a, a moment, something he just felt at the at the moment. Like, you know what? I don't want to come to that press conference. And then it just escalated from there. Absolutely. You know, he could have been with his girl out somewhere. He could have been just chilling. <laughs> right. He could have been fighting. He could have been like, you know what? I'm enjoying life right now. I don't want to head out over there. It could have been his niece's birthday. Just, you know, you, yeah, ne exactly. you never really know, exactly. right? Exactly. So people love to make these grandiose possibilities. People just love talking about this kind of stuff. Yeah, right? it's, it's another distraction. So they don't talk about their stuff a lot of times. Well, they just enjoy doing it, right? So it's just like... It's just like the media likes talking about it. People like debating this stuff. People like getting online, debating things. Yeah, it's I just mean, seriously. The, just, the entire weekend I was in Vegas, man, out there with you. Every time I looked up on the screen, I saw Connor and, and Floyd Mayweather on the TV screen everywhere we went. It's just like I'm like, why is this such a big story? Like, really? Like, we don't have anything else to talk about. There's even on the sports channels, like, there's nothing else. It, aren't the NBA playoffs happening right now? But you're focused on Floyd and Connor possibly fighting. It's just like everywhere we looked, there it was. They, they loved it, even on channels where. You wouldn't think they even care about any type of combat sports, you know. You know, you're seeing stuff like on the Today Show and all this other. I'm like, what? Well, I mean, Why they're talking. They're talking about it because people do care about it. People sure. are fascinated by. It. People are fascinated by the idea that the best box, allegedly the best boxer ever, the guy never lost, may fight. Both of these guys are massive smack talkers. It would be a huge fight financially for both of them, and just the idea of these. 
these worlds that have never clashed on a high level clashing. Well, it takes it back to the premise when the UFC first started, you know, back in, you know, the early 90s. Like, you know, what if the, the top, you know, BJJ guy took on the top boxer in the world and put them in a fight? Who would win? You know, or the top kickboxing guy. What if he took on the, the top wrestler? Who would win? So it's kind of come back to where everything started, you know, with combat sports as far as, you know, mixed martial arts is concerned. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, uh, coming back to you, Joshua, I would say, is there is there any one experience with a client you worked with? Like, let's say, let's keep it in the context of combat athletes that really sticks out. Like you, you're like, wow, I really helped turn this guy around. There is a particular instance with a fighter who had suffered some extreme abuse as a child mm. and his mother had suffered extreme abuse in front of him. And we'd only worked together for two fights. But the way that he started, I don't, I'm not sure if you guys are familiar or not. I guess you wouldn't be unless you'd, you know, seen some of the results. But when, when you tend to work with a fighter for three or four fights, there's a, res, a resulting kind of like a residual effect when they start breaking through things. So if they had some limitations in, uh, let's say, even with Matt, right? He had a situation with jujitsu where that was kind of the piece of the puzzle he needed to figure out. Right. And he went into his last performance and he was performing very well. He started learning a lot of things He's, you know, able to control a lot of things, have a sense of awareness and clarity. And now he can sort of recalibrate for the next time. He feels like he's in a, you know, better position with what happened. You can hear his interview and how, you know, how that went for him. And every time a fighter can kind of move past through something or move through a puzzle that was sort of stopping them in some way the growth ends up generalizing into every other area of their life. So the particular fighter who had a lot of abuses and who saw his mother, and this isn't like your average run-of-the-mill like physical abuse. This was like horrible, horrible stuff. And the moment he got through his two fights and he started breaking through some of the limiting mental patterns, the situations that improved in his life, were absolutely phenomenal to watch, and they still are. You know, he started producing. Uh, in, you know, he started producing changes in his life that I don't think he ever would have otherwise, unless he a didn't start fighting, and then b didn't start working on his mindset to sort of move through some of those challenges. So he yeah, pretty that, much had those so proverbial aha moments. This is people like the you know like they always refer to when it kind of helped them with a breakthrough or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. For any one of us, you know, fights in any capacity or has at any point, there's always a very strong metaphorical element to overcoming challenges or getting past them. And you see this, you know, throughout every martial art with every single fighter, there's something that they're moving past or breaking through. And if it's not a particular event, they're building the methods to break through the next thing, right? Right. And kind of the ways that those generalize into other areas of a fighter's life is always the most fascinating thing for me. Yeah, you know, I mean, and everyone's a fighter, 
in some way, shape, yeah. or form. And I think that's one of the reasons why so many of us like watching it because it's a physical display of our, in, our own internal battles. Right. So I think when you're doing something as extreme as being a professional combat athlete, you're naturally going to start releasing things that have been suppressed. It happens even in our arena, mm -hmm. the strength coach world, where you're, you may be working with a client where it can become a very emotional experience for them. And a lot of us can't relate to that because we didn't get that from physical training. But for them, it's the first time they're doing something arduous physically, and it starts releasing certain pain traumas in a dramatic fashion. Yeah, and doubts and, and things that have been placed upon them, all those growing up, those that verbal abuse, like, you can't do this, you want to mount to this, you can't do that. Right. And, you know, they do right. their first set of 10 push-ups. And something so to us seems so simple is a big deal to them because they were always told that they can never do these things, that they would never be able to, you know, do anything physically, you know, you know, challenging whatsoever, that they should just sit there and just, you know, just be a good student. You know, you'll never be athletically inclined. You know, to us, we think like, well, 10 push-ups, you know, does that make you an athlete? Well, if someone has been told that they never could do anything physically active, yeah, <laughs> it starts, it starts opening up those windows, you know, starts opening up those doors. You're like, well, damn, if I just, I can finally do this, then maybe I can do that. And it, it motivates them, keeps them going. Well, that brings an interesting point, Joshua. How much of people being successful is trying to prove doubters wrong, even even your own self-doubt? You know, you, you that's one of those things in, in NLP we, uh, we call metaprograms. Those are things that will be so individualized. You will almost never have the exact same set between one person and the next. If you have an athlete who's externally motivated, who is externally motivated for accolades, you'll say something to him like at the end of the visualization, notice who's cheering for you, notice the flashes of the camera, notice the way that they're clapping, notice what happens in your post-fight interview and how people respond to your post-fight interview. Notice how many likes you get on your Facebook picture. Another athlete who is internally motivated, who's trying to move away from pain points, that will literally mean nothing to him. He will not care at all what you just said to him. About, you're not going to feel silly you know, for training so hard and not getting anything out of it. That will be a hundred times more motivating to the athlete who has the move away from values, the move away from internal values. So it all comes down to how you're going to key in that particular combination for the athlete that you're working with. Yeah. Now, I mean, besides working on the mental game, going deeper into that, how, how often do you use actual hypnosis? And what do you think are the most misunderstood things about hypnosis? Okay, so I use it in every single session. Okay. The misunderstood thing about hypnosis is – and, and it's been gaining much, much more widespread acceptance. And what it is is when people really learn about the legitimacies and they really examine the ways in which it works. You can see uh, all the way back to like Chael Sonnen. Uh, he said he had never performed the same again after he was hypnotized. He was hypnotized by a guy named Edward Stieg in Oregon. Uh, Mike Tyson had a hypnotist ringside every single fight. He was hypnotized up to three times a day during fight days. So a lot of people don't necessarily understand that it is essentially, if you look at what it is as a process, basically you're hacking the REM state. So what you're essentially doing is increasing the signal to noise ratio. 
So when you've increased the signal-to-noise ratio in this way, you're able to get messages that are well-tailored to the other person's mind, their motivations, just like the meta-programs that we talked about. We key in the right message, then we get them in a super relaxed state where they're able to not critically overanalyze or reject the information that they're getting. We just put them in this relaxed state so that the message that we've keyed in properly can resonate with their unconscious mind. And then we give them the messages, the things that we came up with beforehand, the things that we decided upon that are going to get them and put them into the state where they're going to be the most resourceful. Do you find that there are some people who just don't respond to hypnosis at all? I haven't found any yet. Okay. So I, I just think of this show here in Vegas, right? Anthony Cool, he's a hypnotist. He has this right. show out here. It's a really entertaining show for those of you that visit Las Vegas and look into some shows to go to. This is one of the most entertaining ones. And he'll have audience participation. So he'll bring up people from the audience. And he can tell when someone's actually responding to his hypnosis and when other people are just faking it maybe because they want to be up on stage. But the kind of things that people end up doing on that stage are hard to believe. You know, is when you're sitting with someone doing the Carlton dance, or some people just came and remember their own birthday or their own name. It, it's 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 really entertaining stuff. It's really you know, what's funny. funny. What's funny, Mike, is that they would do that normally if they drank too much, and they, <laughs> and they would don't think twice yeah. about it. If they drink yeah, too much, yeah, yeah, all yeah. that stuff, like oh, he's just drunk. But when a hypnotist does this, like oh man, this must be part of the act. He's probably paying those guys. <laughs> Whereas, hey man, I'm pretty sure that I don't know that E and J or Crown Royal didn't pay that idiot to start doing those things when he got drunk. <laughs> you know, so uh, this is you have to see this to believe it, man. This is different than drunken behavior, which believe me, I've seen a lot of in Vegas, oh, and we saw and we so saw when you were here. <laughs> all right, this, this is this is almost like professional drunk behavior <laughs> because it's it's a little bit too. It's, it's, it's executed way too well right. <laughs> to beat a drunken state. It's, it's really fascinating to watch, though. But it, maybe, Yeah, when you've got you know, a middle-aged mom of three up on stage, she's married, and she is what, lap dancing either. Some food? Yeah. <laughs> but wouldn't it be yeah, her subconscious? Exactly. Because she's always secretly wanted to be a stripper, but she's like, but I'm a mom of three. And, I, well, well, that's and what people think true. of me. You know? And that's why they respond to the hypnosis as well. That's probably true. Right. But it's, it's anyways, it's one of those shows you have to see it to believe it. But a, a lot of people just think it's totally contrived. But I've seen the show three times, and it was obviously different people up on stage each time because it's audience participation. Right. So it would have to be orchestrated really well for this whole thing to be just right. some contrived endeavor because you see these people that were up on stage hanging out at the casino playing cards at restaurants you see them out and about i mean talk about an elaborate scam where what are you going to do you're going to pay people to go up on stage like okay after the show make sure you're out and about where people can see you (laughs) you you figure at some point someone would have pulled the curtain down on that show yeah absolutely and the way uh you know it's it's super different obviously you know the stage hypnosis stuff where they're getting them to do kind of silly different things and especially how much they're invested to in doing that stuff now one of the things they'll do is they are 99 percent sure who's going to be picked out on stage doing what they're doing uh before they even call anybody up so they're doing little tests the entire time to see who's uh, more suggestible, less suggestible, so they can see it out. And then, exactly like you're saying, the people who really want to be up on stage, they call for people to just come running up on the stage so they know who wants to be there, they know who's suggestible, and they'll also kind of, in the back of their mind, know who just wants to be up there and kind of 
yeah. you know, to be the funny person when they're right. turned around and that with me and the stuff that I'm doing, I will never run into that sort of situation because there's no reason someone would, you know, pay me the 300, 500 bucks an hour to be the funny guy, you know, when I'm just working <laughs> with them on, you know, on Skype or whatever, right? It's like, it might not be the best use of their time. Yeah, but, you have some female um, client, you have some female client, all of a sudden she starts taking all her clothes off, you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. like now who's paying for what now? <laughs> the lines get blurred a little bit. You're like, this is a great gig, I'm getting paid for this. <laughs> Yeah, Skype billing me for a cam show. What is this? Exactly. It's like the lines get blurred all of a sudden. But, you know, I don't know why people are so skeptical of hypnosis because every day we're all being hypnotized in some way or shape or form. Every time you buy something, you Body were placement. convinced to buy that. That's right. a form of hypnosis. You, are somehow, you somehow believe that this is beneficial for you. You go to my website, you read about the testosterone booster I have, and you're like, wow, this sounds great, and you buy it. There you, you go. Start visualizing yourself. When you're doing the benefits, they start, or you know, start all the symptoms, like, here's why you need this, and they start right. picking it apart, like, wait a minute. He's talking about me, yeah. which a lot of times, yes. He I is. mean, you read, you read the customer <laughs> testimonials, and it's people that have the same issues that you may have. Exactly. You're going, man, here's my solution. So there you go. It's, it's, it's a form of hypnosis. You go to a you go to a restaurant and someone outside is like, hey, come on in, we've got this food, you're gonna love it. It's this Special. and that, and you're like, you're like, wow, that sounds great. Bam, you go in and buy it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's a you know, and it's with the hypnosis, it's interesting too because the the guys who come, I, I rarely have a fighter who will not keep doing sessions with me, right? Mm. As long yeah. as they keep fighting, they keep coming back because they know that it works for them. I won't say it works. I'm saying. They believe it works, and I believe it works, but, right, you know, right. they keep coming back. So if there's another fighter who doesn't believe it or doesn't, you know, on the fence or whatever, that's cool. You know, that's their thing. It's kind of – it just makes it better for me and the fighters who I'm working with. You know, we've we've kind of got our set regimens and structures out. We're doing stuff, and I, I don't really run into people kind of wondering or asking how it works or if it works. I, I end up having to, to screen – a lot of people based on their backgrounds and people who may not be, uh, for instance, one of the things that we'll do is set up a state where the person feels zero fear or apprehension of going and accomplishing a physical combat goal. So you can take an average person, you can take the average guy off the street mm -hmm. and you can put him in a state where he has zero apprehension to go pick a fist fight with two bouncers. You can just have him not care about the results and not care about the consequences as long as he holds on to that physical state that you can program in. So this isn't something that we, you know, that we work with, with everyone, you know, as to be a very specific type of athlete. They have to have a very specific type of mindset already. They can't be the person who's looking to just put on a Band-Aid because they haven't, uh, you know, they're, they're trying to cover up the fact that they haven't trained properly over the past three months. Right. They have to be someone who's just kind of completely in the game and already pushing the levels of performance. And they just want to take it to the next level completely. Right. And those guys are always the most receptive because they are already used to using their mind in a performance capacity. Yeah, It kind of reminds me. Well, I was going to allude. Well, you kind of alluded to something I was going to ask you now. Let's just say you said a lot of the clients that you have, you know, as long as they're fighting, they still work with you. 
do you <laughs> like even going back to what we did earlier in the show when you helped me kind of just visualizing the whole little jujitsu incident and all that? So, OK, going from there, let's just say someone's no longer working with you. Do, do you find that you've had ex clients who say, hey, man, I still utilize that one training tool, that one visualization to this day to help me with this or that? You know, you find that a lot of the things that you've trained with them that they can still utilize that on their own where they don't necessarily need you. Because, I mean, you're only one guy. You can only train with so many clients in a day. I know after a while you probably have to be like, okay, I'm, I'm booked, I'm full or whatever else. But at the same time, you don't necessarily want that guy to fall off or something like that. And, I mean, do you find yourself where they can get a tool from you? You can give them a tip like, hey, just do this, do this, do this, and, you know, and, and go from there, you know, where you don't have to be present for that. Yes, absolutely, 100%. I would, I would not do this business. I would not do this work if each individual session – did not have permanent and lasting effects. I simply would not touch the work because I'm not looking to have somebody dependent on seeing me. In fact, I would rather I would rather have the exact opposite. I would rather be able to see them get what we need done and then be finished with it. The thing is about fighting is if you have someone work two, three, ten sessions, twenty sessions, whatever it is, you can compound the results and the effects of things that you were doing before. So we can install this bulletproof sort of confidence inside of you in session number one. And then session number two, you may want to be able to relax and breathe a little bit more while picking up more movement in your peripheral vision. Mm. That may be the objective of second session. And each session we go through putting in something new, putting in something that will get better results and the interesting thing then by, you know, session eight, nine with a lot of these fighters is that we can just jump right in and start doing sort of hybrid type sessions or doing more advanced things that we can only do so easily because we've laid the groundwork in so many other ways. Right. So we can do like advanced uh, triggers that take them into different physiological states very quickly over, you know, different periods of time. If we have like an aggression or confidence or general fight anchor, which is like a trigger to get them into state mm -hmm. by session three or four, they may have something that's coming up where they're getting caught in particular submissions. And we may be able to set at that point a escape anchor, something that gets them entirely focused, their entire mental and physical resources focused on just escaping a submission attempt. And all of these things have become a lot easier when we've already worked through the more basic stuff. So to answer your question, everything that they use is a permanent beneficial change that they keep with them. And we can always find more stuff to add in. Now, now we know in probably the last probably 10 years, you know, as with any like self-help, you know, NLP became a little bit more prominent, you know, and in all types of media, whatever else. And you've got some quacks out there. Yeah, I'm, as with any of our <laughs> industries, we always have these quacks. These people come, they see like, oh, this is the hot new thing, even though it's not really a new thing. It just now has a, a name that you can put on a label that you can put on it. And basically, they're like, it's a quick way to make money. So, how do you distance yourself from those quacks or NLP? Because there are some people when they hear about NLP, 
And they'll think like, oh, here we go with that again. Oh, is this that self-help bull crap? Or, you know, oh, you're going to get into my mind and make me visualize or whatever else. Because there's some people that have really put a stain on that industry. You know, the fact that it's actually an industry itself already starts kind of put a stain in it. Where, you know, so people kind of stop thinking about, okay, these are people who are actually helping people get past some of their crap. You know, but no one does that with psychologists or psychiatrists because you've been conditioned to think like, well, they're there to help my mind. Whereas... A lot of times, a lot of NLP practitioners, whatever, are psychologists, you know, just so how do you distance yourself from all the quacks out there and show that, you know, what you're doing is truly legit? Yeah, I personally find that the best way is just to not even consider it. I, you know, I have my testimonials with the fighters I've worked with. I have you find any fighter I've worked with and they will tell you a very particular thing about their experience working with me. And that is the only thing I can pay any attention to. Because, right. to be honest, I just don't give a shit what the other guys are doing, you know? <laughs> you they, they may be really good, they may be horrible, but I'm like, dude, do your thing. And the moment I run into any problems with it is the moment that I'm not doing the best job possible. Right. There's no reason for you to explain <laughs> quacks anyway, right? right. You're not right. in that game. It's like most testosterone, natural testosterone boosters suck. They don't do a damn thing. Now, I have one that I believe is great, and so do all my customers who take it, and the testimonials are self-evident. So I, I don't have to explain why other people's products suck. You know, I just explain why mine's great. Exactly. So if you have every other testosterone booster that's out there, right, and some have I, – I bet you, you, know, you, you don't even get too immersed in the details of which ones are the very best and not the best other because you know that yours is great. Yours is phenomenal, right? Right. So exactly. – not, not, you know, and another way to look at it is what business is it of yours to care if someone else is peddling some junk? Because what you can say at any given point of time is like, oh, yeah, so and so might have been doing this, that, whatever. Yeah, 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 you're right. Cool. Uh, try mine. You'll love it. It's amazing. Right. Right. And w what else is there beyond that? That's what you can control. That's what matters to you. And uh, well, I just I mean, I, I just yeah. don't let people put me in a position where I have to explain why mine works and others don't and wh well, how mine is different because on my website, there's detailed information for all of that. So a lot of people will come to me and say, not a lot of people, but a few people have emailed me and said, oh, I've tried a bunch of these products and they didn't work. What makes yours different? I go, well, go read about it. <laughs> go educate yourself on the ingredients. You know, Do some research on this stuff. I've never seen a natural testosterone booster that has testimonials like the ones I have on my website. That's for damn sure. So, I mean, mm -hmm. I, I just don't waste time. I, I always feel that when someone tries to put you in a position where you have to explain yourself, it's a form of manipulation. They're trying to take the higher ground. And I just don't let people put me in that position. So I think Absolutely. it, I, I think it alludes back to what you're doing. is like you don't have to explain yourself to customers because you have so many people who want to work with you. You can just focus on the people who actually want to work with you, not a bunch of detractors who just want to waste your time. Right. And, I, I, and the reason I don't you know, even have like a normal – even like a, a canned response to that is because I just, uh, you know, I don't really like playing with the ego elements of it all. I'm just like, dude, I, I really don't care, you know. If right, uh, right. There, there's there's no danger for a consumer to accidentally drop, you know, $500 in my pocket, right? <laughs> right, <laughs> they, right they have right. to know what they're doing. They have to be signed up for it. They, you know um, – all the work I've been doing, they have to apply and see if they fit, you know, a set of conditions. Mm -hmm. So it's never it's never anything I really encounter. But, you know, there there may be people who 
do doubt that sort of thing, I'm never going to be in the line of fire of their money. You know right. what I mean? Right, exactly. <laughs> They're that's, never going to be like, right. put it. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's irrelevant to me entirely. <laughs> I mean, I think it's good to have a clearly defined business model. Like my business is Mahler's Aggressive Strength. So you know right in the title that it's going to be an arduous form of strength training. This is not going to be holding your hand and we're going to cry afterwards and, and hug it out. This is going to be difficult, straight to the point, no-nonsense stuff. So I attract a certain audience. So it would it would behoove me to not waste my time trying to explain why my system is a fit for people that it's really not a fit for. Right. Just work with Absolutely. the people. You have enough people that do believe it's a fit that you focus your energy on those people rather than saying, okay, let me spread the net wider and explain to people who are clearly not a fit why it is a fit. And I think that's a mistake a lot of people try to do is they try to spread that net too wide. They don't they don't realize that there's actually benefits in rejecting people as customers. Oh, yeah. turning, you should be turning down people <clears throat> regularly. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, there, there's definitely a very strong co- correlation between – investment and self-qualification to do something and there's no there's no limit to kind of the potential of people who are kind of already sold into what you're doing now if you have to go out and sell people on things uh if you have to sort of explain the merit the benefits the results that you've been getting with your testosterone enhancement products, right? If you have to go sell somebody on the stuff that is readily available for them to see, then you you probably have better uses of your time trying to convince them of something that's already proven, right? Right, right. It wouldn't be worth me sitting up a kiosk at the mall and having people come over who have never heard of me before and they just see these oh, bottles God. in front of them and I have to explain one at a time the merits of this, you know, over me. and over and over again, as opposed to just having thousands of people just go to my website when I'm off living my life, having fun and reading all the information they need to make a purchasing decision. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the only time uh, I ever actually even get asked about people who don't believe in hypnosis, not saying that everyone does, not saying that everyone should. Right. But right, the only right. time I ever get asked about it is kind of on an interview when people are finding out about the process. Uh, because I, I don't have people, you know, emailing in the website saying, does this stuff really work? You know, it's a, uh, if, if they're already contacting me, you know, they've already heard about the results. They, they kind of know the performance enhancements. So, yeah. People that are it people, leads for a very low stress lifestyle. A, a, lot oh, yes. of, a lot of people that are skeptical are probably people that are worried about being like those people up on stage in an Anthony Cool event. <laughs> you know, they're worried about giving you what they feel is that power over them where it's like, who knows what I'm going to do in that state. Yeah. Yeah. That's totally right. And you know, another thing that I always, that I don't really think about that often. Right. But when people are asking about like hypnosis and that sort of stuff and dealing with the people who haven't, you know, fully invested or bought into the idea of it. uh, One distinction with what I do is I'm working primarily exclusively with athletes and uh, people in those professions who need immediate results, you know, the military law enforcement segments. And these are people who are already using their minds. So they already have that correlation and understanding. If I was focusing on people who wanted to quit smoking or people who wanted to relax or that sort of thing, I would have a lot more questions about what's going on. But there isn't an athlete, a high level competitive athlete on the planet 
who isn't intimately familiar with the ways that you can adjust and shift your thought patterns to get the desired result. So that that's another reason that, you know, it just never really, never really comes up at all. Right. Now I'm curious if you've ever done any sensory deprivation training, such as a float tank. Is that something you've ever experimented with? Oh, I'm absolutely an addict when it comes to float tanks. Yeah, you. I mean, you sound like someone who just came out of it because <laughs> you're very relaxed. Yeah, exactly. I, mean, I go the way you sound. I go. That's probably the way I sound when I come out of this sensory deprivation <laughs> tank. Because it puts you into this. It puts you into this. It puts you into this really relaxed state. And I, I think a lot of a lot of people's impediments in moving forward with strong purpose is because they have so much clutter in their mind. And the sensory deprivation therapy or a sens- sensory deprivation tank, float tank, whatever people want to call it, I think a lot of people are afraid to be in that state because it's going to bring a lot of those things to the surface to deal with. Yeah, absolutely. You are 110% alone with your thoughts. So one side of it is you may not be able to escape your thought in a moment. The other side of it is you can have the most pleasant thought in the world and it's not going anywhere. Yeah, you're in there naked. You can't even see the hand in front of you. You know, so you're you're, right. you're literally alone. You don't even have your underwear to keep you comfortable. You keep you comfortable in there. Absolutely. Yeah, and it's a uh, it's funny. I, I run into maybe one. I'd say one out of ten people who don't totally fall in love with the experience. But it is, it is such an experience, you know. It's well, just a, lot, complete... a lot of people just don't. They go, "Oh, it was boring." I go, "What? Well, that means you're boring." That means you're boring. The only, <laughs> only thing that's in there with you are your thoughts. So you must be really boring because that <laughs> self-talk you had with yourself. I mean, I, I, to me, I went in there. It just kind of freaked me out the first time because you went in there. It's pitch black. It's. I just felt like I was floating through space. And it, it was just kind of weird at first because you had, you had no – you're not hearing anything. You can't really – after a while, you can't really feel anything because the water is the same temperature as your skin as your skin temperature. So after a while, you just you just lose that sensation. So it kind of freaked me out. But the second or third time, I really got into it. I really relaxed, got into it. And then eventually, I just looked forward to it after a while. Right. Did you get to any point where you were either visualizing things inadvertently – where you were able to see particular things that you wanted to see? Did you have any sort of kind of breakthrough moments? Where well, I'll, to- I'll tell you what. I was going th- – things I – was, I was having some issues with my business at the time, just logistical stuff that would normally really irritate me because these little things like that just normally get on my nerves. And when I was, I was using the float tank at the same time, and I just found that it didn't bother me as much because I was able to think the situation – through extremely clearly and accept it for what it was rather than blow it out of proportion, which is what I would had a habit of doing at that time. And it's, the other other things I experienced in there is it, it actually made me think of things that I haven't thought of in a long time, people that I haven't seen in a long time, maybe thoughts I haven't had in a long time, you know, insecurities about yourself that you haven't thought of in a while. So it, it was it was a really interesting experience. Every single time I went in was different than the last. And I think I did it maybe 10 times. And I haven't done it in a while because I have this theory about habits where if something is more than 20 minutes, if it takes longer than 20 minutes to get there, it's hard to make it a habit. <laughs> so it has to be like if you go to the gym, it has to be within 10 minutes of your house or your office, wherever you're going to. Because if, if it takes too long, at least in my case, it's, it just goes down the wayside. But it's something I'd like to start up again. And, and commit to it a little bit more because I, I did find the I did find it 
refreshing and interesting and worthy of further exploration. That's a great theory about a habit. <laughs> no, like, there's a, <laughs> like a distance of insulation before, you know. Well, I used to go to this cryo sauna, right? And it took more than 30 minutes to get there. So I paid for right. 10 sessions in advance. So, I mean, I was like, okay, I'm going to commit to that because I paid for it. But after that, I didn't re-up because it just took too long. And the benefits weren't commensurate with the effort. So in other words, I would have had to experience some serious benefits to justify this. And I felt like there were some benefits, but they were way too subtle for me to clearly state is the value of the experience. But anyway, if this cryostar were, let's say, five minutes from my house, because I work at home most of the time, I probably would have stuck with it because the benefits then would have been enough for me to justify it. Right, right. Absolutely. Yeah, I actually even recommend to a lot of fighters is if you can – that's funny. I never actually even thought of it that way. But if you can move as close physically to the gym as possible. Yeah, no doubt. Then, oh, uh, yeah. you know, you're, you're in a much better space. <laughs> if you drive two hours each way, that's going to get old real fast. Yeah. You're going to have plenty of time to think about how lame that is too. It's like, man, I can't believe i got to do this drive again. <laughs> and then afterwards, i got to drive two hours home now. Forget it. Forget it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. The more you can make it routine, the better, right? I mean, that could be the reason why you quit the whole thing. Something as silly as that, because you're tired of that commute. When if you just lived within 10 minutes, that wouldn't even have been something to worry about. Look, man, that, that right. me as an instructor. Everything you know, can sort of like going to the, Yeah, going to the range, it's like, I got one right here by my house. And that's the reason why I go to that one all the time. You <laughs> know, And I've built up a good relationship with them. So now you know, I'm doing my instruction with them, even though there are a few others close to the area, but they're not as close as that one. <laughs> so, And I've been to those other ones. So it's, I've even found reasons why I didn't want to work with them. Like one guy just said something wrong. Like, I got a bad attitude, bad customer service. You know, whereas, <laughs> you know, whereas I can go five, like five minutes away from my house. I get excellent customer service, and it's five minutes from my house. So even if my car didn't want to... Even if it wasn't working, I could walk over there if I really wanted to. You know, and I look at that, I'm like, okay, that, that works out for me. Doesn't hinder my business. Doesn't, doesn't give me time to outthink all the reasons why I don't want to go. You know, where I can come up with other reasons like, ah, you know what? I need to go work on, I, I can edit the podcast a day early today instead of driving 20 minutes over here just to go spend some money on some ammo. You know, first of all, it's going to cost me money to drive way over there. Drive, cost me money to spend on ammo and shoot up, you know, all that and then come back and be like, hmm, okay. That was that, and then drive back in traffic, which in Houston is terrible. So that 20-minute drive turns to about an hour, and you're like, dude, I'm not going through that again. <laughs> so you can, like I said, you give yourself that space where you can kind of think your way out of it. And I think that's very beneficial people can find a gym that's nearby because, of course, you're going to, especially if you come into a gym after work, you know, you've had a long day at work, and you're still going to go work out. You want to have that gym close to wherever you work. You don't want to have to travel to the other side of town because trust me, something is going to t- something's going to be always better than going and working out. At least that's what you're going to justify it. Like, yeah, you know what? Hey, there's a there's a Krispy Kreme <laughs> right there. <laughs> you know, so you'll find ways to get out of it, man. So something about that convenience that does help. Yeah, it, de- it definitely helps someone build a habit. But at the end of the day, if you actually want to do something, you're going to do yep. it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, if the reason why you're not getting your workouts in consistently is because the gym is 15 minutes away instead of 10 minutes away. That means you didn't really care over time. <laughs> but at the same time, don't stack the deck in your favor of not making it happen. <laughs> right. Make it easier for you so you don't have those excuses. Exactly. But again, I mean, it's 
like Matt Brown, what Matt Brown said when he was on our show, like the truth always comes out about whatever you say you're trying to achieve. That really stuck with me because he's right. Yeah. A lot of times when you're trying to do something and then you end up stopping after a while, it's because you didn't really you want didn't to do care. it. You have to accept that. Like people with their fat loss goals every 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 New Year's every Day. first. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and then they quit three weeks later. Guess why? Because you didn't really want to lose the weight. So just be fat and be happy about it. And go, and go live your life. <laughs> yeah, and Matt's Matt's a perfect example of that too. You know, just about the truth coming out. He'll, yeah, you, you can mention a book to him. You know, just talking about something. And say, yeah, right. this is right. a good book for oh, X Y Z concept. He'll be like, oh yeah, okay, cool. And two days later, he'll be like, yeah, I read that book. You yeah. Know? Yeah, we and that happened on our show. Mike and I brought up I forgot what book yeah, it was. The obstacle, we yeah, brought up like, the obstacle is the way. Exactly. And like, oh. bought it that day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and read it. Probably. Yeah, and that's I mean that's that's how you get stuff done, right? That's it is how you, how you get yeah. that, well Matt has a winner's mindset. Like you said, after the Damian Maya match, which was a tough fight, his attitude afterwards was that was that's a champion mindset. His champion mindset of, Hey, I, I went in there, I did a lot of things well. I need to, uh, there's things I need to work on. I'm going to be back in the gym on Tuesday working on it. That's a championship mindset rather than, oh, it went so bad. I need to take a break. Uh, I need to reevaluate whether I want to keep doing this. You know, that's someone who's got one foot out the door already. Right, and that's such a common phrase, right? Exactly oh, what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. We hear it all, reevaluate this. We hear it all the time. <laughs> see what my options are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Who knows what the future holds, right? Right, right. I mean, one guy, you, Steven, you know, if the future holds quitting, right? You know that. Well, Steve oh, Justa yeah. even made a point about the Steve Justa is a famous fitness. No, I shouldn't even say fitness because he's a hardcore strength training writer. But anyway, he wrote this book called Rock Hard Iron Will, something like Iron Steel, something like that. Anyway, he has this this great passage in his book where he talks about how if you work out long enough, and you're hitting this thing hard, you're going to have a lot of bad workouts over the lifetime of your workout history. And people that are committed, they don't get bothered that much by it. They go, okay, today's workout wasn't very good. I'll do better next time. You know, it's as simple as that rather than dwelling on that one bad workout. I was like, why do I even do this? Should I even do it again? You know, That's someone who's not going to stick with it. That's someone when, when they hit a few impediments, they hit a few roadblocks, they're just going to cave. They're just going to give up. Yeah, there's that Absolutely. fear of failure again. You know, some people are just like you said, you know, we've said before, being risk adverse is like, well, you know, uh, what if I mess up again? You know, what if you don't? Well, <laughs> you I mean, if you're risk adverse, you're success adverse. <laughs> exactly. But, but but even more, even on a, on a simpler explanation is because you don't really want to do it. It's right. like, oh, I want to be strong and powerful. Then you work out for a year and the first year is great because gains come in fast and furious. And then it slows down and then it comes to a screeching halt. And then it comes down to you add five pounds to your deadlift in a year. You're excited about that. That's this. That's someone who's committed. While someone who is hits that roadblock and progress is coming slow and then they lose motivation, they're like, ah, I don't want to do that anymore. I'll just talk about what I used to be able to do and drink <laughs> a couple Bud Lights at the barbecue this weekend. That's someone who didn't really want to do it. They just didn't want to do it. They have to accept it. So like what Matt said is so true. The truth always comes out whether you want to do something. So whenever people say something, oh, I want to go do this, I'm like, well, we'll see. You know, if you go actually, if you actually put in the work and have a tenacious drive to achieve it, then you're then I believe you. If not, then you prove to me and you that you don't really want to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, these these guys. What a lot of people miss is there's a longevity and a persistence component right. for every level of motivation. Right. And and you know, in in the same breath, all of these can be adjusted very quickly. You know, the second you can come down to why you want to do something and you can define in 
particular terms what the why is. You can take elements, you can amplify it, you can add in future benefits to that same why. Right. You can you can change these things over time. Right. But until until you make that decision to do so, a lot of people just keep falling into the patterns of failure. Well, you want to see Tenacious, check out this Twisted Sister documentary. It's on Netflix now. And I, I'm not a huge fan of Twisted Sister. I'm not even really a, a light fan of Twisted Sister. But I like these kind of documentaries yeah, right. because it showed the struggle of how they went from obscurity to a very famous band. And it wasn't an easy trajectory at all. There were so many misfires and pitfalls and, and near successes that just fell to the wayside. Like I think the first record deal they got, the executive's plane crashed on the way over. And then that deal went away. And then another deal came along, and then that company went under before they got signed. And, and it was just so – It was I think it was like three or four or five stories like that before they finally hit it. And they just kept staying course through all of these pitfalls, through all of these just near successes. I think that's what really breaks a lot of people too is when you, when you have a success and then it's taken away, do you keep moving forward? Or do you give up? And a lot of people cave right there. Yeah, they see it as a sign, like, you know what? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, obviously, exactly. we're not meant to do this. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's exactly what happens. They see it as a sign. They go, oh, well, if this were meant to be, that plane would have landed with the executive. <laughs> you know? exactly. And then the second time, like, well, we already did this. How many times do we have to keep on learning this lesson? If this were meant to be, now we're being then a this dead deal horse. wouldn't have gone over. Yeah, yeah. I'm ride a cow, man. Get the horse. <laughs> but at the same time, there are some things that are worth quitting. So it's interesting. I, I've done things in the past where I'm like, man, I'm glad that didn't work out because that would have been a lame trajectory for me. That would have been a, a completely unsatisfying compared to what I'm doing now. So sometimes it's a positive thing and, and you should walk away from it, you know? <laughs> Yeah, it's good to know when you're kind of, you know, when you've got, even when you're succeeding, sometimes you have diminishing returns in a particular pattern. Right, right. Well, hey, man, it's been great talking to you. We don't want to keep you on all day. So people can check you out at fighthypnosis.com. Is there anything else you'd like to plug? That's it, man. You can come and talk to me, anyone who's fighting. Awesome, and you're also on, you're also on Twitter. What's your Twitter handle? Uh, Twitter handle is – I just changed it recently. Oh, yeah. Look at, I think it just put fight hypnosis in the search function too probably. Yeah, I didn't know yeah. if it was at the fight hypnotist or fight hypnotist, but it's at fight hypnotist. Okay. Yes, I will recommend one book to anyone who's listening though. Okay. And that is As a Man Thinketh by James mm. Allen. Yeah, mm. that's a good book. <laughs> Yeah, it's a great book. It just sort of gives you, yeah, yeah, it just sort of gives you a great way to sort of look at the thoughts that you choose to have, sort of a meta level look at, you know, what you're choosing to think and how that's going to kind of build upon all of your results over time. Well, fantastic, man. We'll let you get back to your float chamber. Cool. I'm back in there today. (laughs) Sounds like you're in it there. Sounds like you're in it right now. Like, I'm going to do this show from the float chamber. <laughs> okay. Right about 15 minutes away. So. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. That's how you make it that habit. The 15-minute rule. Well, thanks again, Joshua. Pleasure talking to you. And Perfect. All the, all Thank the you, success guys. to you, man. Thank you. All right. Take, Take care, man. Take care. All right, folks. Make sure to check out fighthypnosis.com. Some of you probably need hypnosis just to support the show. 
<laughs> and we're we're coming up with some. Trust me, yeah. We're, we're coming we're coming up with some interesting ideas that are. We're gonna find out who our real supporters are real fast. That's all I can say. But yeah. before we do that, we're gonna take a couple weeks off because we're fed up of you folks. <laughs> we need a breather. We need a recharge. I need to go spend some time in the float tank. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I actually need to start because we didn't get around to it. You know, when I was out there because I misread my flight time. I thought we had time on it last day I was out there in Vegas. Oh yeah, right, right. But luckily, yeah. I found a place that's 15 minutes away from my house. Boom, there you <laughs> so, go. <laughs> so you know, I have to go try it out, man. And because uh, it's funny because um, Vice.com had just posted an article. Um, I believe day before yesterday on Facebook about you know float chambers now. So you know it's picking oh, okay. up it's picking up speed like in the mainstream now, and just everybody's kind of talking about all their different experiences with that. Yeah. And, uh, so a lot of people are like, oh my god, I need to try this. There's some things I need to go work out. So it was kind of good to see in that, you know, as far as you know people's reactions to that. You didn't you didn't get a lot of negativity, you know, as far as the comments because there was a lot of comments. So yeah. that's that's a good thing. So yeah. you know, to one thing about supply and demand. So you start getting a bunch of people drive down that price and get better package deals. That's how I see it. So right. it makes it you know kind of removes that barrier to entry for so many other people to do it because a lot of times I mean let's get let's get down to the brass tacks. It comes down to price. Like I really want to do that, but man, can't afford that. That's just kind of steep, you know. So it kind of helps That's out with that. That's definitely true, but generally those same people have $150 a month cable bills. Of course. And they <laughs> eat out five times a week. That's why I can't afford the float tank because you know I don't they, want to cut yeah. into my drive-through you know budget. <laughs> they blow. They go. They go. Already, to my to my as much as I eat in the drive-through and when I go swimming, I mean I'm already floating. So you know I'm already. Well, you know, I'm, you know what's <laughs> amazing to me is people who go buy coffee every morning. Yeah. I go, I go. If you're if you're a regular and, coffee drinker, wouldn't it make sense to have it at home? <laughs> you know? And then that's one of the reasons why I got into it and shared so many things. Like you know what, Tell me, you can save a lot more and actually get better coffee by doing it on right. your own. It's, it's win-win on all fronts. You don't have you to know win where it's coming line. from. You get a relationship with a roaster. You know, it, and it's not as hard as you think it is to make coffee at home and even <laughs> re, even just replicate those coffee drinks that you buy, like at the the big box place where you know with the little mermaid that's got the green background. That chick. Yeah, you can. There's so many recipes where you can do that at home and it's so simple. Like right. even all those drinks, those coffee drinks with those long list of names and too many syllables, you can make that at home for a lot cheaper. And you're like, oh, and you can do it multiple times a day for those who like to drink coffee multiple times a day. Uh, but bottom, bottom is whenever I hear excuses from anyone, so, I just shut off at that point. I'm like, all right, right. all right, go ahead. You're going to do what's important to you. It's like what you and I were talking about when you were out here. I go, you try to give advice to people and they have the yeah, but response. I'm, uh, yeah, so my response yeah, now is like my attitude now is you know what yeah but fuck yourself yes. okay <laughs> because you ask me for my professional advice I give it to you and you respond with yeah but that's where the conversation ends exactly. you know? it's like We're clearly I'm wasting my You're time for dialogue that's all because I, I don't enjoy wasting my time. And I don't, I don't enjoy giving people free advice either if they're not going to use it. You know, so I mean, because what am I getting out of it? You're not paying for it. So I mean, if you're paying for it and you don't use it, fine. You know, that's on you. But here it's like, I'm being generous with my time, giving it to you. I could be doing something else. And believe me, there's a million other things I like to do than waste my time. And someone responds with, yeah, but I'm like, all right, you know all the answers. And what are you asking me for? Go do it. <laughs> that's when you just pull up the Kanye video. You don't have all the answers, Sway. You don't have all the answers. <laughs> so yeah, man. So, but um, yeah, man. It just that whole just wasting time again, especially we don't. It's not like we go out and solicit our advice. Like, hey, I heard you had so and so over there. You know, I was listening to your conversation and I was thinking. <laughs> so, yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, I don't, absolutely. I don't do that either because nobody appreciates free. Okay, which we've learned with this show. <laughs> so when you just give them for free, like, well, I didn't ask you. 
you know. Well, some people, I mean, there's it's just it's just the audacity. I mean, I had a guy <laughs> who bought the testosterone booster, said he didn't get anything out of it. I'm like, yeah, no problem. Send the send the unopened bottles back. I'll give you a full refund. And which I still haven't gotten those bottles back, by the way. <laughs> so he probably sold them. He probably he probably it was probably someone who bought several with someone else, and they, you know several people have already used it. So guess what? You can't send it back. You don't get a refund. But anyway, it was like, oh yeah. By the way, I also wanted to get I wanted I wanted to see if I could get on the phone with you and talk about my issues and, and get your professional feedback. And clearly the person wasn't offering to pay me for that advice. Right. I go, man, the ball's on you, man. You want to send a product <laughs> back for a refund, which is fine. You, you're not satisfied. I'm happy to give you a refund, but we're not, we're not going to, we're not going to get on the phone and where I'm going to give you a free console. That's not happening. buddy. <laughs> you want a <laughs> refund and you want a free console. It's like, it's, it's just amazing to me. The audacity. Some people have the level of disrespect. And if you were to get that free console, like would even value that? It's just like, well, what do you do? Any of the things that you say, there's a great. Well, I mean, people always percent. people always say, "Oh, my doctor said this. I wanted to see what you have to say." Did I'm he like, do it well, for free? Did exactly. You That's was why that I was, appointment I was like, for free? How much did your doctor charge? <laughs> you <know? laughs> exactly. You're going to pay me at least that. In fact, you're going to pay me what I think my time is worth. And if you don't want to pay that, then go read the free info on my website. I give a lo- I give away a ton of free information. Go buy my hormone optimization lecture series. Eight hours of great info for fifty bucks. You can use that fucking coupon code and get ten percent off that. Bring it down to 45 bucks. Extremely comprehensive. Listen to a lot of the episodes we've had with Dr. Mark Gordon and Dr. Delgado. Nick Delgado. Yeah. yeah, we've had so many great guests, completely free, Dr. William Wong. So, I mean, it, it just amazes me that you can put out tons of free information and then people go, oh, I want to pick your brain and get on the phone <laughs> with you. It's like, that's not happening. Yeah. So, anyway, we're coming yeah. up with some we're, – we're looking at changing the model for the podcast. We're having a lot of internal discussions, and I noticed that a lot of other people are doing the yeah, same thing. Like, us, yeah. like Jamie Josta, one of his, his show I listen to consistently. He's the, the Josta podcast where he interviews a lot of people in bands. And he, on Twitter, he was getting some feedback from his following saying, hey, what do you guys think about three bucks a month, and then you have – Unlimited access to the show, the archives, and then I'll, I'll be putting it. He's like, I'll make enough where I can put out two episodes a week. He's like, or it's going to have to be two episodes a month, and I'm going to have to get on more sponsors, et cetera, and so forth. And it was amazing how many people are like, well, I don't want to have to pay three bucks. Or it's like, you know, you're only going to keep your hardcore followers because I'm a casual listener. Well, there you go. Like, well, thanks. <laughs> look, man, if, I, if I listen to it three times a year, I'd be willing to pay three bucks. Exactly. I mean, that, there's nothing, man. There are, there are shows that, you know, I know I gain a lot from and I may yeah. listen to it once a month. I subscribe to the shows. I pay, you know, right. to my, and it's, they don't even ask for much. But I'm like, dude, you're giving me great information, especially like now in the firearms world. You know, there's right. some top instructors out there who are their ex, their expertise there's way more than what they're charging for their subscription model for the, you know, for their, their website or for their shows or, you know, I mean, for their podcast and all that. And hell, man, I'm just like, okay, I'm, dude, you're giving way more than you're asking for. Uh, but, but who the hell am I to be sitting there learning all these different things, learning things as an instructor, learning things as a shooter, learning all these different things and I'm not giving anything back, you know? So nah, man. I mean, even the same situation we talk about our friend Tim Larkin. I'm like, come on, Tim gives so much good information out there for free, especially if you go on YouTube or whatever else. But, you know, I'm like, come on, man, I'm signing up for his course. You know, so you, you want to, they give, when someone gives you that much and they're a great resource like that and they constantly give out good information, how can you feel good about yourself when you just constantly take it? <laughs> it's like, you know, it's like, dude, how can I help? You know, at least spread the word, do something, share it. Like, hey, I suggest 
oh, check out this guy's episode of this, and you'll learn this, that, and that, because there's something that they're talking about or doing that's going to relate to someone else as well. Right. You know, point them in that direction. Like, dude, it would behoove you to take this guy's course. It will behoove you to subscribe to this yeah. or whatever else, you know. And just doing that, you're still helping. You're, you're still giving something back from the information right. you're getting. And so, again, that, that same thing here. You can be that well, same. Well, I mean – one possibility that that may occur with our show as we discuss this and figure something out. But I mean, one thing would be three bucks a month or 30 bucks a year if you pay in advance. Right. So you get a little discount. Thirty bucks a year is nothing. And also what it allows us what it allows us to do is invest in the show further where we can improve the production value. We can put out more episodes, too, because yeah. now we're getting compensated for our time. So now all of a sudden it's eight great episodes per month as opposed to just four. Or we may if we're just going to be completely free, we're going to have to reduce that number from four to two and bring on some sponsors to make it worth our time. So anyway, it's just one of those things where we harness people power to make it better for the people that are willing to fork over a few bucks. Exactly. I mean, are you really are you really going to miss three bucks a month that's somehow going to affect your overall life like man if i didn't allocate that three dollars to the live life aggressively show i could be doing this it's like no you're not going to miss that and it shows a level of respect it shows you know what i want to support you guys and then i want to support myself because if i support you guys you're going to produce a better show and i'm going to get more out exactly. of it and on the flip side of that you know even those who like our patreon supporters you're going to be taken care of you're going to be taken care of because Absolutely. you know you've you're the ones that actually stepped up and you know, made the whole possibility, just to even thought of this, moving to this model possible. It shows that it can work. So don't think that, oh, all of a sudden that, you know, things are going to increase for you guys or you're going to have to add, have an add-on plan or something like that. I'm just like, if you're already a Patreon subscriber, you're already in. You're, you're already in, and then we'll work and out then some. For, we'll work out some bonus stuff for you guys exactly. for sure. And then also all the customers that have been using that coupon code LLA, what we can do is give you fifteen percent off as a subscriber instead of ten. So you, exactly. you make that three bucks back on your on your forced order of anything, and then some. Yeah. And then also. That coupon code would change every month so that you can't just subscribe for one month and then use that coupon code and then Forever, quit yeah. and still use that coupon code. It's going to exactly. keep changing. So you're incentivized to stay on. So anyway, I, I want it to be a, I mean, where, I, I want it to be something cheap enough where it's like, OK, these guys aren't being opportunistic, but it's got to be enough where it's it adds up to something meaningful. And then, like I said, we can improve the show. And then also there's a lot of guests that are difficult to get because they just have people coming at them they only have so much time but if we actually have funds that are coming in for the show we could actually even pay certain people that are really hard to get to come on the show that we would never be able to get otherwise or on top of that we have some guests where they just aren't available at the time that we usually speak to our guests so sometimes you have some guests where we we have to talk to them maybe in the middle of the night 12 o'clock at night or something or two in the morning for me and 12 at midnight for for mike but the thing is you know at the same time, when we're not really the show's not really being compensated for such, because that means we got to do a lot of shifting in our personal lives and business, because that's right. going to affect our business the next day, because we're going to be up late with this guest. So here's the thing: if we have those subscribers and, and we have this model going, that makes it even more likely for us to be like, you know what? No big deal. Hey, we'll talk to the guy tonight at midnight. No big deal. You know, our fans really want to hear this guy. They're going to really benefit from what he's going to, you know, or what she's talking about. And let's let's go ahead and do this or whatever. But, you know, pretty much when you only have a select few, you know, who are, you know, actually believing in the show enough, like they, they financially support it, kind of, you know, messes things up a little bit, you know, especially when you yeah, have. And, and then for those of you that think that, 
oh, well, man, you're, you're, you're selling so many supplements, Mike, as a result of the show. It's like, no, the majority of people who buy my products are not people who listen to the show because exactly. I can tell, I can tell who's listening. I can tell who's, I can tell by who's using the coupon code and who isn't. Right. And the majority of orders I get are not people using the coupon code. And the majority of people who use that coupon code, they would probably be buying the product anyway, anyway. even if the yeah. show didn't exist. So I'm actually losing money if you look at it that way. Yeah. So that, that's not enough. And so my attitude is also when, when you buy my supplements, guess what? You're actually getting the supplements. It's not a donation. So you're getting the supplements at a discount. So don't look like that's compensation for the show. The show is a completely different entity than that. Exactly. And on top of that, you get the supplement. You're probably not going to buy it again until you run out. So <laughs> there's a little gray matter in between the time you purchase it and the time you have to do it again. You know, and right. meanwhile, we didn't stop the show between every, every bottle of testosterone booster that you have. It's like, well, you just bought a bottle. So no shows until you finish that bottle and <laughs> we'll start another show when you buy another bottle. Uh, Something like that. So and, no. then, and, and then for the people who do come on the show too, if yeah. they are talking to, let's say, a couple thousand people that are paying three bucks a month as opposed to tens of thousands of people that are not paying anything, guess what? It's way more value to be talking to people that are willing to fork over a few dollars because those are people that are way more likely to be potential customers. Yeah, that exactly. and on top of that, actually support the guest, you know, whatever yeah, exactly. they do, you know, and I just like, okay, and get the free information like, oh, well, I just heard that whole, you know, Christian Thibodeau just talked about sprints, you know, so, you know, before the years out, I'm going to start doing a sprint routine. <laughs> you know, but you now, have this it. is this is just a skillful way for us to get rid of the people that we complain about. The freeloaders <laughs> yeah, so, that have never supported the show, never will support the show. We don't have to complain about you guys anymore because you're not going to fork over that three bucks. Those that we know it. The show don't want to hear about you anymore. They, <laughs> they our real fans are sick of listening to the, they're tired of hearing about you guys. And you know, why should they be penalized after they listen to you listen about you guys at least for a couple of minutes in every show? And you know, they're feeling like, you know, I'll, they want to get rid of the leeches as well. It was like, well, hell, man, I'm supporting the show. Why, why wouldn't you do that? Well, that's the other thing we would do also is no more business pitches at the beginning of exactly. each episode. We would do it at the end just to remind you that you can use a coupon code. To get or if we have something special off. coming up or something right. like that. You know, but, but you're not going to have to listen to five minutes or more of us pitch talking pitch. about our businesses. We just go right into the guest, talk to that person. Exactly. And then this will be interesting intel for us because let's say we charge three bucks a month, which, come on, that's ridiculously cheap or 30 bucks a year, whatever we ended up – whatever price we set point. Well, it's going to be somewhere in that range. Let's say – Barely anyone decides to pay it. Well, guess what? It means the show's not fucking worth doing at all, and we now know that, and we don't do it anymore. Right. You know, I was like, well, shit. We could only get fucking thirty people to pay this three bucks. Fuck the show. You know, we're obviously no one cares about it. We can go, and no one's gonna miss it. You no know? one finds value in it. So you know, hey. You know, he's beating that dead horse. <laughs> but by looking at the consistent numbers that we have every episode, I can pretty much guess what percentage of that wouldn't have a problem paying yeah. that. And in my opinion, you know, we've discussed this internally. That's enough to certainly make it worth our while to keep doing the show. And, and I, I enjoy doing the show. Yeah. I like doing the show. But if it's just charity – I, I rather spend my time doing something else you know, for charity. If, the, if all it is is charity, charity, then I'll, I'll go work at one of the organizations. Exactly. Instead. I'll, you know, I'll go volunteer, you know, at the, the food bank or something like that, which, right, exactly. <laughs> you know, yeah. during that, during that two hours on a, you know, on a Tuesday that we were recording, you know. So yeah, man, it's like I said, it was just something we're throwing, throwing around back and forth. So yeah, we'll figure something out. But anyway, we're going to take a few weeks off. So it's going to be some best of episodes. So yeah, yeah, you know, exactly. look out for that. So we're going to pull back because here's the thing about like Stitcher and iTunes or whatever. There are a lot of episodes you guys didn't get to hear and won't get to hear, you know, thanks to those, those mediums or whatever. So going to go, we're going to discuss like a couple of 
of throwback like episodes to bring back so you guys can just see that. See, again, more more value being thrown here. So. Right. So or, hey, we might just give it to the Patreon subscribers. How about that? <laughs> hmm. <laughs> Something to think about. <laughs> so anyway, folks, you know, the websites, MikeMahler.com. Also, NewWarriorTraining.com, 10% off all of our products using that coupon code LLA. Uh, like I said, Mike says it all the time. You want to get some of the best supplements that you're going to find anywhere. It's like, come on, man. You, you know by now. There's no what ifs or anything. There's no yeah buts. None of that stuff's going on here. Yeah, the, the, the aggressive strength testosterone booster is not constantly on back order because it doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> or that you only order like five. You know, yeah, at yeah time. exactly. I'm ordering like 10,000 units per order, man. And it's like every few months, it's. And not only that, but some of the ingredients are not grown all year round, like the yeah. bulbine natalensis. So one of one of the problems is that having enough of that to keep my supply going. So anyway, that's that's a topic for another story. But uh, suffice to say, it is back in stock right now. <laughs> that's today. You know, by the time yeah. by the time you hear this, it may not be back in stock. So you exactly. better hurry up and go over there and get on it, and man. place an order. Yeah, and get several bottles. <laughs> right, exactly. Enough. So yeah, man. So head head to both those websites or head over to Patreon.com/slash/LLA Podcast. Become a monthly subscriber of the show and. Again, we've already told you guys the benefits of that and how thankful we are to our Patreon subscribers. And last but not least, you know, the easiest way out is to go over on Stitcher iTunes, leave a review, rate us and share the episode with folks on social media. I mean, come on, we make it very easy for you. There are three different levels of doing things here. So, hey, let's hop on and make it happen. All right, folks, that's going to wrap it up for this week. Catch you on the next show, which, you know, check out those throwback episodes and then we'll catch you guys a little bit after that. All right, folks, take care. All right, Vaughn. Take care.